You're tuned into The K Mag Podcast. Online source for horror, thriller, and sci fi entertainment news. Good evening, my name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com, that is D E C A Y M A G.com. And this is a episode six of our continuous weekly podcast. And joining me as co-host are Enid Artus, content contributor for DK Mag, and don't forget to listen to our podcast on Google Music. Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag on Stitcher rating and reviews, and help us rank. And we are also on iTunes, so if you happen to have one of those i products, just go on, log on, and search for DK Mag, uh, D E C A Y M A G, and uh, all our listing of all our podcasts are there. And in this week's episode, we are going to have an exclusive interview with Mr. Bob Clark and Bruce Kilroy, and we are going to be discussing their upcoming film strip club massacre and you could check out the review for that film on our website we also be providing some a lot of information on tv horror on tv and horror in movies stay tuned television Welcome back, horror fans. Hey! Welcome home, girl interrupted. I had some issues, and I dealt with them. I'm back here because I want to get back to normal. And it would really suck if you guys started acting weird around me. Hello. Hey, killer. No, no, please! MTV's Scream, the TV series, is gearing up for season three premiere. The crime drama horror show is created by Jay Beatty, Jill E. Blodovojo, and Dan Dworkin. The headline cast stars Willa Fitzgerald, John Karna, Carlson Young, and Jillian Mao. For those who are new to the Screen TV series, it first aired in 2015. As you can imagine, it's a spinoff of the Scream franchise directed by Wes Craven. However, the series has a mind of its own. While it's based off the movies, the series are equipped with amazing twists and turns and it becomes its own world. Interestingly enough, the third season of Scream of the Scream series will be dramatically decreased. Season 1 had 10 episodes and season 2 had 13. Uh, season 3 is slated to have only 6 episodes, so this will be interesting to see how it plays out. Will the episodes be longer in length? How will the full story unfold in just 6 episodes? The Scream series premiere, or the Scream series Season 3 will premiere in May of 2017. Ken and Lee, what do you guys think about this? Wow, uh, I've only seen uh, Season 1 from Scream. I absolutely enjoyed uh, this uh, TV uh, program it, and this one and Slasher those were two of my favorites and uh, um, 
What was that other one in need? The one on channel 5. Scream Queens? Yes, yeah, Scream Queens. That was another one that just popped up. And they all circled around the whodunit serial killer. But Scream Queens was just like so... Blah, according to you. Yeah, it was. So Scream and uh, Slasher were the best. Um, Stacy, that's weird. Six episodes? Yeah, and um, I thought it was weird as well. I mean, a TV, a TV show usually has a good, I think, what, eight at the minimum, maybe, episodes? So I'm interested i'm interested to know why it's only six episodes and i'm hoping that maybe the episodes will be longer in length versus i think every episode of like season one and two were actually i think they were pretty long like 40 minutes to an hour yeah um and i believe i read somewhere in the the, the internet that scream this new season they gotta borrow from the TV not the TV from the film uh, did your report have anything uh, to say about that um well no I, I mean I know that pretty much they are going off the movies I mean this whole thing is based on the movies it's just when you watch the actual show you can't really go back to the movie. As I've mentioned before, um, watching season one, you know, and knowing the movie so well, I'm going back to the movies thinking like, I know, I know how this is gonna end, I know what's gonna happen, but it's something completely different. I mean, they have so many different like twists and turns in there. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Let's see. Uh, I haven't seen season two. Uh, I just little bits, so I can't say I saw the whole season. So need what do you think about this? Season three, six episodes of Scream. It's on MTV. Uh, I don't know if I don't think you watch MTV, right, Any? I don't watch MTV, and I have not watched Screams. I have had watched Scream Queens, but not Scream. But yeah, you, but you remember the TV? I mean, oh my gosh, you remember the films, right? Scream. With the funny looking mask. Yeah, with the what's up? No, no, that's they did that. Nah, that's the comedy ver. That's a that's the spoof. No, 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 no. Well, you know what? That one killed it for all the movies. After you gotta watch that movie with the what's up? Yeah, that's those Wayne brothers. They always kill the effect of the horror film. They did that with Annabelle. I I don't see Annabelle the same way again. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, you talk about scary movie, and it's meant to be a school, so it's meant to make fun of you know the movies. Yeah. You know that's what it's meant to do. And then yeah, Annabelle. I think that was was that um haunted house. Yes. Oh, a haunted house. Oh man, when I watched that, I just shook my head like no. Yeah. I'm like Toby. He is not. He's literally like up here having sex with a freaking doll. Yeah. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious right now? I just, I'm just like no. And that's and that what Anita just said with the what's up? That's iconic. So when you think scream, that's what I think. What I think scream what's up? That's right. That's what I think of yeah. a joke. Yeah. But 
actually Scream was supposed to be a spoof on horror. You see the irony here? The whole film, this franchise, was a spoof on horror. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's see. I I don't think uh, with six with six episodes, I don't think Scream is going to last for another season. I think this is it. They the uh, the the producers and MTV are probably saying, you know what, one last uh, season, and then we'll see how it goes. Because if a if a TV episode starts out with those few episodes it's usually for the first season to see how things go but for the third season that doesn't make sense yeah and i'm i'm i don't understand why it's going down 26 episodes like i said um maybe the episodes will be longer like two hour episodes who knows 90 minute two hour episodes but i'm curious to see how that is going to work yeah we gotta take a page out of Enid's book. What are you, what is that what is that phrase you always say, Enid? Ah, uh, we gonna watch it later. No, that's not the phrase. Ah, I got so many phrases. You just gonna have to wait and see. Oh yeah. Uh, we get gonna out of have here. to wait and see. Yeah, go <laughs> go watch your kitten videos. Go over there. As a matter of fact, you're up next. I know. Bye. We're ready. We're going to feel a slight pull. Just keep breathing. Here she comes. And what's going on? I want to see the voice. It has been confirmed that the TV show The Strain will enter its fourth and final season. Here's what Carton Q said. We have a fantastic plan for an, for an exciting and climatic season four. We are deeply grateful to FX for supporting our vision and for allowing us to end the show on our own timetable. Also joining the cast is Jocelyn Hutton. She is in Lost Girl and Pixels. So here's the synopsis for season four. As the fourth and final season begins, nine months have passed. The world has fallen into darkness and the Strigoi are in control. The explosion at the end of season three triggered a global nuclear apocalypse. The resulting nuclear winter liberated the Strigoi, allowing them to move about during daytime and allowing the master to establish a totalitarian regimen preying on the fears of the populace the masters and his minions have created an unsettling alliance in the partnership the majority of humans are now working for the strigoi operating with a single understanding collaborate or die with the world in disarray and our heroes disband each of them will have to overcome personal hardship and defy death for even the smallest chance of fighting back all the while the master reigns supreme furthering his scheme for the end of the world as we know it in the face of annihilation do our heroes have what it takes to save humankind? As some of us know that the Strain Trilogy is created by Guillermo del Toro and Chuck Hogan, 
Also, Cartoon Cues is a security producer. The series is produced by FX Production. The Strain will return to FX Sunday, July 16 at 10 p.m. Talk to me, guys. I remember I read The Strain, the, the, the novel, because it was based on the novel. And then I read the graphic novel because somewhere in the midpoint of the novel, it just, it wasn't catching my attention. Uh, the first few chapters were great and then all of a sudden started going into the sleep zone. So I got the graphic novel to see, okay, let me see if some pictures would do better. So I got the graphic novel, much better, you know, you got the pictures going, then the same thing happened. Like midpoint through the story, it just got dull. So when I found out that the strain was coming to FX, I say, okay, let's see how much of it is going to change. It was exciting first season, second season was, hey, okay, now, you know, how far can you stretch the story? It's, I don't, I don't understand. So Stacy, have you seen uh, the strain or are you familiar with the novel, the graphic novel? No, I've only seen uh, the very first episode of season one. I haven't um, been to watch it since. Yeah, but season one, I think season one was the best. That really, that was, that captured everybody's attention. And then season two, eh, what are you thinking? They, I th do you think season two was kind of like, it didn't have that effect as season one? Well, so far, I have been watching season one, two, and three. So apparently, I will be waiting for season four. So you find the whole season to be pretty good? Yeah, I see nothing wrong with it. Mm. I like it. I know. You watch it all the time. Exactly. I I've only watched season one. That's it. Season two a little bit. But I know there's a whole conflict now. You have a, a vampire... Uh, the, the vampires versus vampires now, right? No, well, actually, now is humans versus vampires. Because if you either work for the vampires or you die, that's the comments now. Wow, that's that's pretty. And Stacy, have you have you seen the 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 posters for the strain? No, I haven't. You haven't seen the posters. That, that ugly no. looking creature with a long tongue. Oh yes, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. You heard the whole big, the whole big con. Indeed, you hear this controversy. They say that the movie, the posters for this show, is too violent and they should take it down. You heard about that? <clears throat> yeah, I did. But I don't see nothing violent of a poster with just the creature of vampires tongue sticking out. Yeah. You hear that, Stacy? It's too violent a poster. <laughs> Hey, we're, we're we're talking about America here, where everyone is offended. That's right. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> offended by something. Yeah. But I find I find those posters for the strain to be you cool. Know, yeah, awesome. I would buy those posters and hang them up on the wall. They're very. Whoever created those posters is a genius. They look pretty cool to me. Yes. 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 I agree. Uh, uh, so I guess I'll be watching season four with the need and uh, give a final verdict on this final season. 
Oh, now you want to watch it now when it's ending? Yeah, why not? Uh, hopefully, they'll put something good in this yeah, season. Yeah, and you skip two other seasons. It got boring for me. Okay. It yeah. was the same as Right, the that's what happens every time you read something and then it's on TV. You did the same thing with The Walking Dead. So. No, The Walking Dead... <laughs> The Walking Dead is, uh, that's just my personal protest. Right. Vampire Chronicles series in development at Paramount TV. Indeed, Stacy, um, have you guys heard the news? Paramount as Paramount Television, actually, they're going to be developing the book series written by Anne Rice, they're going to be developing it for TV. You guys heard about this news? <clears throat> I have not, but I am very aware of Anne Rice books because I have read tons of them myself. Yeah, so according to Variety.com in a news article they published, uh, Christopher Rice, which is Anne Rice's son, he's going to be spearheading this uh this this season and it's going to be called the vampire chronicles and the he's going to serve as executive producer alongside his mother and rice of, uh, of course and is uh, going to be anonymous content paramount television uh david Cantor, stephen golan of anonymous content they're all going to be serving as executive producer so here's a soundbite here is a quote uh in regards to this show and this is from Amy Powell president of Paramount TV she said it is undeniable that Anne Rice has created the paragraph against which all vampire stories are measured the rich and vast world she has created with the vampire chronicles is unmatched and sophisticated with 90s gothic undertones that would be perfectly suited to captivate audiences that's awesome um, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence on this uh, Anne Rice books developing into TV. I hope they don't make it into something like the WB, like very teen-oriented, right? Any that, that would probably lose its flair. Uh, yeah, if it goes, is it is in WB where it's going to come out? Well, it says here Paramount Television, according to Variety. Uh, skimming down the article who here. Who owns pa Who owns Paramount? Paramount owns Paramount. Yeah, but what channel is it? They haven't. If it's on WB, that's it. Forget it. It's done. <laughs> you You think so? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Stacy? If it's on WB, will you watch the Vampire Chronicles? No. WB hasn't been the same in uh, so long years i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i agree with you there uh so stacy you've read any of the uh, books from Anne rice uh the lestat his storyline and you know he's he's just a basically he's just a a baby he's a troublemaker but that one makes that's what makes the character so lovable I have not read any of her books. No. Oh, you have to pick up those novels. Even if it's an audio book that you can listen to it on the on your commute to work, they're pretty good. Uh, 
they're not like Twilight. Thank goodness. They don't sparkle. Hey, 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 hey. Leave Bella alone. <laughs> and they don't you see these vampires are 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 sophisticated and they're deadly uh, especially Lestat he is a deadly uh, vampire I was about to curse but yeah he's a deadly vampire and that deadly yes he is he's deadly he's a troublemaker he's deadly uh, he has he's a he's a, an instigator that's what he is yeah he is an instigator too he, He's all these characters all rolled up into one. But one thing is, uh, one thing is certain. I'm, I'm curious to see how Paramount Television is going to make this for television. Would it be violent? Will it be uh, for general audiences? Well, we could start recommending from now. That as per DK Mag, if you decide to show this in WB, that's it, it's done. Let's not <laughs> sugarcoat it, it's done. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. um, Stacy, in 1994, Interview with the Vampire it came out in theaters, and that starred Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. You remember that film? Uh, yes, I haven't watched it yet, but I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, that I think that film stuck to the story uh, very, very closely. Um, in 2002, Queen of the Dam, uh, that starred Stuart Townsend. He and played, Aaliyah. yeah, well, but Stuart Townsend <laughs> he played the role of Lestat, which was Tom mm -hmm. Cruise's role, and then Aaliyah, uh, she was. Uh, and uh, R and B, like Akasha. Yeah. Oh, look who, look who popped up. Yeah. Akasha yeah, was one of the characters. <laughs> Akasha and Mekare was one of the characters. Yeah. Mm, I've seen that movie. Oh, look at that. She seen it. You see? Mm -hmm. That was a pretty cool movie. It could have been better. It could have been better. But well, it was but pretty cool. Didn't they, didn't um, she pass away like? In, while they were shooting or something like that and they had to end it isn't that what i heard um i think the film was already done oh was it uh, okay because I, I, I thought what so. i heard was that while they were kind of in the middle of filming that's when she had that accident on the flight right and they had to wrap it up well they actually over overbooked her plane that's why her plane crashed according to according to whatever happened in news reports you know things happen yeah. in the in the industry but yeah. uh Aaliyah, yeah she was gorgeous in that film wow she was amazing yes yeah she was amazing slasher season two gets a title Slasher is back for a second season. This is excellent news as I heard from rumors that the show was not going to continue. Slasher season one aired in 2016. The show was created by Aaron Martin. Season one follows Sarah, Sarah Bennett, portrayed by Katie McGrath, after her and her husband Dylan, portrayed by Brandon J. McLaren, moved to the town her parents were murdered she finds the killer is still at bay. The murders are happening again as she unravels a great mystery. Season two will be called Guilty Party. 
There will be some returning cast members and some new cast members. Returning cast are Christopher Jacob, Jefferson Brown, Don McDermott, Jim Watson, Paula Brancati, and Joanne Benicola. New cast stars, Leslie Hope, Lavelle Adams-Gray, Caitlin Lieb, Rebecca Lydiart, Melinda Shankar, Sebastian Pidgeot, Paulino Nunes, Madison Chiatal, Ty Olson, and Samu Liu. Aaron Martin will return as showrunner. Season two is slated to air on Chiller late in 2017. The synopsis, brought together by a horrific secret, they long kept buried, a group of former friends must return in the dead of winter to the now closed summer camp they worked at five years before. Deep in the snow-covered wilderness, the rundown camp has now become a private and isolated intentional community, cut off from civilization by weather, wilderness, and choice. The group's secretive reason to return causes tension and tempers to flare. Before long, they find themselves gruesomely targeted by some, someone or something out for horrific revenge. The location's isolation starts to wear on relationships and expose surprising secrets. And as the winter weather worsens, so does the killer's grizzly spree. As blood and secrets spill across the vast and snowy wild surrounding the camp, the mismatched group must try to not just escape the killer's retribution, but also survive the daily elements. I am excited to see how this season will play out. Season one was just the right amount of gruesome with brutal violent scenes. The antagonist was called the Executioner. And if I remember correctly, there was a touch of religious tones to it. I think it was centered on the seven deadly sins or something. The series was very original and innovative. The antagonist was innovative as well, something new and fresh. What do you guys think about this? Oh man, Slasher was amazing, <clears throat> amazing. And it ties up with the opening um, report uh, for this podcast, uh, Scream TV uh, series getting uh, renewed. Slasher, wow. Slasher was so gory. I mean, that first episode was, we reviewed the first episode before it aired. And uh, you could catch that review on DK Mag on our website. I'm telling you, mind blown by this, by this TV show. And I'm glad that it's back for a second season. It took so long to get back on air, though. Uh, usually these, uh, these series, they, they, they come out uh, in frequency uh, with a gap, like to say, six months or so. I don't think, I think it's been more than six months. Indeed, you seen the uh, Slasher, uh, the TV show? No, I have not. Yeah, it, was, it, it is. It was just like Scream Queens, but not with, without the comment. Just saying the concept. It was just like Scream Queens. It was just like uh, um, Scream that you had the killer uh, killing people, but you don't know who it was. Oh, that type. Right. No. Is is those who done it? No, probably because I've seen Scream Queens, and it's the same subject. 
yeah. same issue so actually I, no yeah but i stick to one show yeah no you have to watch slasher slasher and for me personally i'll say slasher's first scream is second and uh scream queens is all the way down as third place yeah. if you say so yeah i i know so right uh, right stacy you'll agree with me right with those rankings yes. <laughs> see see two against one Right, you just come trying to convince her. <laughs> no, for real, Stacy. See, you, you've seen Slasher. You gotta admit, that was awesome. Yes, I, I do think so. I think it's top of the list. Yeah, and I'm so glad that, um, I'm so glad season two is coming out. Um, your, in your report, in your source, did you, did, did it give a date of release? It just said later this year. That's that's all it said. Wow. Late and not uh, yet. Late in 2017, it was Aaron Chiller didn't give an exact date. Mm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Chiller, um, I don't know if you've seen Chiller. Uh, they trying uh, they trying to come up with the original content. Uh, Slasher was one of the original TV series, and they had a a film not so long ago that uh it was it was kind of hit and miss with uh with the with the horror community it was called fender bender uh, i don't recall if you've oh, seen that yeah. uh you know, i i've heard about it i haven't watched it though yeah it was kind of i kind of liked it i don't know did i just say liked it <laughs> yes you did oh, that's not a word excuse scratch that word nobody heard it I well, everybody actually did heard. No, no. See, I'm trying to be. I want to say that on IMDb, it's showing that it airs 2018, but the source says later in the year. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Well, IMDb, you know, they. I guess they would have to uh, update whoever's in charge of that page, but. Uh, I, I guess we'll have to rely on your source for this uh, information. Uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see, just like Anit says. Yes, let's wait and see. Yes, I'm going to be tuning in. The Exorcist gets renewal. There is some news roaming around about the TV show The Exorcist, and it has, and that is that Fox has renewed the show for a second season. <clears throat> even though we thought it was forgotten here is some comparison with other TV shows and probably the reason why Fox decided to renew so now when you look at the ratings the Exorcist averaged 3.5 million viewers and a 1.2 rating among adults between the ages of 18 and 49 we know <clears throat> Those are not good ratings at all, but here comes the difference. Rosewood rating was 1.0. It was canceled. APB 1.2. Canceled. Sleepy Hollow 0.9. Canceled. And Scream Queens 1. Point. And we are actually wearing, waiting in some news to see if this show will get renewed or not 
So when you look at those numbers and you look at the X's doing a 1.2, it makes sense for Fox to renew season two. What do you think, Sky? Um, indeed, your statistics, uh, those are Nielsen ratings, correct? Yes. And those are in the millions. Yes. Wow, what that's crazy. Um, I remember we went to watch the pilot episode in a in a private screening. Uh, I had I thought that it was gonna be a crappy show, and the opening season was gonna be crappy. It that it did had its cliches, but I was very impressed with some elements, especially the the effects, the cinematography, and they also had a Latino. Uh, uh, one of the main characters is Latino. That's that's a plus for me. Um, so what did you think about that pilot episode? Well, now that you mention it, actually, my Facebook reminded me that as of today, it's been a year that we went and saw that pilot. Wow, what a coincidence. Wow, look at that. One year ago. Yes, one year ago. Today. And yes, if you're talking about the Spanish guy, that happens to be Father Tomas. And he is actually the sexiest person in the TV show. So oh, when a father me. shouldn't have been like that, you know? Oh, excuse me, sexy. Oh, wow. What do you think, Stacy? Stacy's <laughs> 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 cracking up. Oh. <laughs> well, I have not watched The Exorcist yet. You haven't? So, no, I've been meaning to get to it. I just haven't gotten to it yet. It's, I would say it's pretty good. I would say it's pretty good. It, like I said, it has its cliches, like the, the typical Caucasian family who's in trouble and they need rescuing. Uh, you know, that's kind of played out for me. Uh, but they have other things. Uh, the cinematography was great for a TV show. It was pretty good. Like, for example, Nee, do you remember that the, the the possession scene with the kid and he was in Mexico? It was in, in the first episode in the pilot. Yes. Right? That was creepy. The way they made it with all those like things floating in the air. It was pretty wicked. It was wicked indeed. Yeah, so Stace, you need to catch up on these shows. Oh, I, I hate yeah, to see uh, but don't worry, we're doing the same thing as she does. <laughs> I know I do need to catch up. I I keep saying like I'm going to catch up. I'm gonna catch up, and then I don't know. I just uh, I don't get the chance. But I got The Walking Dead saved on my queue or my watch list. I got Base Motel saved, and I'm just like one of these days I'm gonna binge watch these shows. And so far I've gotten into like episode three of season one in Base Motel. Oh, I haven't you, even started to walk you there. I haven't gotten back to American Horror Story Roanoke. You know, just like, uh. You'll get to it. Yeah. I think you need to take a vacation for a couple of weeks and just, just binge watch everything. Ah, that would be awesome. That would definitely be awesome. <laughs> See, you you have your favorite treats, you know, order some pizza, some Haagen-Dazs, you know, all these treats, just put them around your your viewing area. and just You watch mean them. it's time to get fatty. Right, yes. 
Throw the throw the diet out the window and just binge on food and and and, and horror TV shows. That definitely sounds awesome. I can't wait until I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got to tell your boss at work, and you know, hey, listen, I want to watch some the horror shows. I need some vacation. I want it now. Right. <laughs> I, it's my vacation, and I need it now. Exactly. And he'll be like, oh, here's a permanent vacation. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I got your vacation, all right. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, but, mm, and those numbers they need from these other shows... And they got canceled. Um, you know, some of these shows on Fox, they, they, they take a gamble. Like they did Minority Report. Come on, really? And then they did, um, what was that other show you just mentioned? Rosewood. Rosewood. I haven't seen Rosewood. Scream Queen, Sleepy Hollow. Sleep, right, Sleepy Hollow. That, that had, a, what, three seasons? Four, I believe? Well, point nine. That's the lowest. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of episodes from Sleepy Hollow. Uh, it just didn't it didn't resonate as something that could be modernized. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like a, I think the cop and and uh, forgot the guy's name right about now. The main character from Sleepy Hollow, and they are finding out of crimes are happening across the city. I don't know. I'm just making shit up right now. But uh, <laughs> Sleepy Hollow. Stop making shit up. End <laughs> the session already. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, you know. I, I, I saw that coming. You could only stretch a concept for so long. And I think The Exorcist too. If uh, they stretch it and it doesn't make sense, I don't think it's going to go for a third season. TNT drops Let the Right One In pilot. It looks like production for TNT's Let the Right One In show has fallen through the cracks. The series adaptation is based on the original best-selling novel by John Ashby Lindquist. The project was written by Jeff Davis. A film adaptation was released in 2008, directed by Thomas Alfredson. The film has done tremendously well among audiences. Still ranking in at 8.0 out of 10 on IMDb. The pilot for the show was picked up in August, but has not gone into production. TNT has decided to not proceed with the project. Developer of Tomorrow Studios is looking for other networks. Stay tuned for updates. Guys, what do you think? Uh, I love the original film, uh, Let the Right One In. Uh, I found that to be uh, uh, one of the most revolutionary horror films uh, of the decade. And then Hollywood did the remake, which uh, they always do just to add uh, their own cast and their own spin on it. I didn't, I didn't prefer that one. Uh, so I need you remember this film, little girl, she's a vampire. And the kid next door, he falls in love with her and he's being bullied. Yes. What do you think about that? That was an awesome film. Yes, it was. Yes, it was awesome. It was great. I loved it. What else you want me to tell you about it? About being, you know, typical little boy falls in love with a girl and then he finds out she's a bad pie. 
Yeah, but then the boy winds up being her keeper uh, by the end of the film. Of course, he's going to end up being the keeper. Hello. Uh, you know, he wants a piece of that butt when he, <laughs> when he gets older. Hello. <laughs> you know, probably he gets to be a vampire, you know, and gets to live forever as well as her. So there are some type of interest right there. Booty call is one of them. No, you just made everything so perverse. Get out of here. <laughs> you asked for my opinion. I gave you my honesty. <laughs> Stacy, you see, <laughs> this is crazy. You see the film uh, that the right one in? No, I have not. Well, I think we probably, um we just gave it away, didn't we? Just now. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> yeah. So to wrap it up. The boy loves the girl. She loves the boy, and uh, he gets to be her keeper. He gets to and have life some is just complicated. Huh? <laughs> and life is just complicated, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He he gets bullied. She, he was being bullied, and she saved the day. And that's that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. No booty calls. No, they're mm-hmm. not teenagers. They're mm-hmm. little kids. So mm-hmm. no, no, that's just wrong on mm-hmm. so many levels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's gonna end the growing sooner or later. No, who, the girl? Yes. No, she's immortal. Immortals don't age. Mm-hmm. So they're like Wolverine. You don't so age. So there you go. Even though, even better for him. He'll become a what? A pedophile? A pedophilia? Oh, no. You're taking uh-huh, it someplace else. Because uh, now, you know, you, she's older and stuff like that. No, <laughs> you just... Well, technically, she is older because she's like, what? 4,000 or 1,000 Exactly. No, no. So she's just on the form of a body of a little girl but she's older you know what also Stacy see uh, this also falls into interview with the vampire because the little girl in that film he was who changed the little girl again in interview with the vampire was it uh, Lestat no was it was it Lestat yeah Lestat oh he made a, a companion for um Oh my gosh, what's his name? See, I haven't read the novel so long. Louis? Is it Louis? Yes, yeah. yes, Louis. He made a companion for him. But then as they got older, she fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. Right, but right. Mm-hmm. But, but she was a little girl and exactly, they couldn't do anything. But she was older, but she so was, right. he go talk about the booty call. Right, but he couldn't. And she couldn't because she was a little girl, and that, and then people were getting suspicious about that relationship as well. Yeah. But she was a little girl right, trapped, and she was a woman, woman trapped, trapped in, in a, a little girl body. Right. That must be torture. That must be torture, not to have a relationship and be forever what, nine years old? Yep. Oh, Unfortunately. That's, that's torture. What do you think about that scenario? Wouldn't that that's torture, Stacy? I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty. It's pretty darn torturous yeah. right there. Yeah. Yep, I'd say so. But um, I'm glad they're not making this TV show. No, just like The Exorcist, you could only stretch out a concept for so long for TV. Yeah, that's true. Uh, after a while. TV shows just go to mush, you know. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that 
that doesn't go with uh, screen dispensers and slasher, but for the most part, after season two, it's like, why even bother? Fear the Walking Dead renewed. Fear the Walking Dead is coming back for season four. AMC has renewed the show. Andrew Shambliss and Ian Goldberg of Once Upon a Time will join as co-showrunners, taking over for Dave Erickson, who stepped down after the end of production on season three, which premiered in June of this year. Scott M. Gimple, executive producer and showrunner of The Walking Dead, from which Fear spun off, will also become an executive producer of Fear The Walking Dead. We are, ex we are very excited to continue the journey of Fear The Walking Dead and truly look forward to working with the talent team of Andrew Shambliss, Ian Gober, and Scott Gimble, said Joe Stillerman, president of original programming and development for AMC and Sundance TV. We are thrilled to be joining Fear The Walking Dead and couldn't be more excited to work alongside the wonderful team at AMC and this show said Shambliss and Goldberg we love this universe and are truly honored to have the chance to contribute to it so stay tuned to DK Mag for more updates for season 4 of The Walking Dead fear The Walking Dead Stacy you have The Walking Dead on your Netflix queue yes I do you haven't gone through the seasons yet no, I haven't. <laughs> oh, well, this, uh, I don't know if you heard of uh, Fear the Walking Dead, right? Yes, I have. So, this spinoff, you have a totally different group of survivors, and they're set in the same universe as the Walking Dead. So, it's happening at more or less at the same time, but in a different part of the United States. Okay. Yeah, so of course, you know, if The Walking Dead is doing so well, why not do a spin-off? Well, know? Fear the Walking Dead is actually based on the beginning of how everything started with The Walking Dead. Yes, but it's tied into the same universe. It's the same, uh, yeah, the same universe. So whatever happened with Rick, that's in a different timeline. And then Fear the Walking Dead is a different timeline, but it all corresponds to the same thing. They, they they overlap just like those mini mini uh, episodes on the uh, on AMC okay the one with the plane remember that they yes. were showing right the little and, the little small little clips that they show right and then that clip if you see in Fear the Walking Dead they found the plane that had all those people in uh -huh. that show see they turn into zombies they all turn into zombies Right, no. Who are you talking about? Oh, what, the main characters? No, everybody who is on the plane and those who are not human-like. Yeah, but Stacy, check this out. I know you've seen zombie films, right? Yeah, I know you have. Yes. So in the, in the Walking <clears throat> Dead universe, everybody has the virus. So as soon as they die, they become a zombie. So it could be natural causes or whatever. 
So basically, everybody in the show is a zombie already. Yes, they are. They pretty much zombies. It's just that once they die, that's when they is gets activated. What do you think about that concept, Stacy? That's pretty wicked. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. Right. And these zombies, they don't run like in uh, the 28 days later. Well, I don't think there's a... Do you think those are zombies in 28 days later, Stacy? I've never seen 28 Days Later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> wow. You have to watch it. That, that's revolutionized the whole. Uh, I'm not going to say zombie. Those aren't zombies, those are infected. It's a totally yes. different concept. They infected. Yeah, but in E, um, Dawn of the Dead. The remake those were zombies yes that was wicked yeah because in especially that the fatty one when she gets close to it and they like yeah. and then all of a sudden she just wake up and everybody like oh my god people yeah. don't even know that was actually a man yeah that, that was a stunt man yeah that was, that was a pretty good makeup because it was like a man as a woman that was pretty cool but i'm saying in Dawn of the Dead, that those are zombies that run, but in The Walking Dead, you have the zombies that are slow. Weird. Yes, you do. Slow zombies, right. zombies that you could just bypass. Exactly. You <laughs> walk, yeah, you could walk past them. Why is everybody getting killed so easily? I don't know. We, I guess, we just gotta wait and see. No, no. Uh, yeah, that's true, Anid. We have to wait and see because I hear a lot of reports online that Fear of the Walking Dead is not doing so well. And I agree because they don't have uh, a main antagonist for this TV show. Well, actually, it's coming back for season four, so something is doing there. Well, I think they probably, yeah, something. Something is being done. Right. Unless the showrunners are piggybacking off of the, the Walking Dead popularity. Who knows? Let's wait and see. Yeah. We need a good zombie TV show on TV. The we Walking need lots of good things. Yeah. We need another one. But so, that's in another subject. Yeah. Move right along. Uh, excuse me. Sheesh. Who, who left the pot out in the kitchen? You <laughs> did. Exclusive interview, Christopher St. Booth. Oh my god. Is this actually your great-grandfather's camera? Yep. The same camera that took those death portraits. One and only. And, um... I've already used it. Bring it. On the 16th of May, Tuesday, I had the pleasure of interviewing Christopher St. Booth. And Christopher St. Booth, he is a very influential force in the horror genre. His film career spans across, I would say, the last couple of decades. And in his recent film, Dead Still, the film synopsis is 
very creepy and it ties into uh his documentary work into the paranormal uh check this synopsis out upon the death of his great-grandfather brandon davis a wedding photographer inherits an antique camera famous for taking victorian death photography after ph photographing his subjects they start to die from horrible bizarre deaths and the film is written and directed by christopher's twin brother philip adrian booth and <clears throat> the duos they have over the course of, of the past few years conducted documentaries into the paranormal now these are not documentaries as typically shown on television like ghost hunters or ghost adventures what they do is they actually conduct the research and they give an inside look on the haunting on the you know the repercussions of these hauntings on the victims and the history of the hauntings so it's not like they go inside and they you know be over dramatized such as Zach Bagans he does on his show there's a thought process to these productions and I'm truly intrigued by the paranormal and speaking with Christopher St. Booth we discussed the, this subject of the paranormal the sciences and also we elaborated on his career as um, music composer see I'm all up for the music and how powerful music plays into into horror films and horror video games and Mr. Booth has an, a, an extensive uh, range of films that he has provided music compositions for very intriguing and before we begin our interview segment uh, let's speak about the paranormal for a few minutes and uh, <clears throat> any i know you believe in the paranormal i'm a skeptic i want to see a ghost uh, i want to see a ufo and you had the pleasure of seeing both um give us some insight really quick on your perspective on the paranormal why you gotta put me on the spot for because you had experience and you are <coughs> a sensitive and you don't want to disclose your powers it's like eugene gray but you don't want to no excuse me you're xavier and you don't want to unleash your powers just because i'm a little sensitive to certain things doesn't mean that i have the power you have the power yeah and you see things i can't see things well what do you want me to say i guess it's something i inherited why do you want me to tell you about my experiences? No, what for? Audiences want to know. They <laughs> want to know. That was a long time ago when I was young. Yeah, uh-huh. Be, be coy about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stacy, really quick some <clears throat> summary of the paranormal. Uh, your thoughts. Um, I have not personally had any experience. I find the subject very interesting. And these movies that are coming out, you know, documenting paranormal activity and everything get more and more interesting by the film. Yes, 
And let me tell you, um, speaking with Mr. Booth, he did provide some very intriguing insight on the paranormal and one of his films, The Exorcist Files. I, I'm a, I know you're aware, Stacy, of the film The Exorcist, right? Yes. Well, The Exorcist Files documents the actual demonic case of this incident, which people say it's a true story. So uh, Christopher Sane and his twin brother, Philip Adrian Booth, they investigated the home. They interviewed uh, witnesses to this account. And it's just mind boggling. I know. How can you walk into some place like that and, and feel this? It's very easy. It's something that it goes in your gut or the back, the hairs in the back of your neck start getting up. It's something you feel. See, I never had that feeling. I'm so, I'm so jealous. I want to feel this uh, or see this or experience this. And without further ado, here is my interview with Mr. Christopher St. Booth. I'm going to start with a brief introduction. Uh, joining me this afternoon is Christopher St. Booth. Uh, INDB lists my guests as a composer, art director, costume designer. But Booth has worked in every facet of the horror industry. Thank you for taking the time to meet with me today, uh, Mr. Booth. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great, great. And as I mentioned, I have a couple of icebreaker questions. And before we delve into the topic of uh, the paranormal and uh, your career in horror. Most in the industry embark into different genres. What is it about the horror genre that you come back to time and time again? I just think that um, I've always seen things dark, you know I mean? It didn't really matter when I was growing up. I always saw things on the darker side. I mean, there's like an ice cream man, like driving outside, delivering ice cream. I would think, obviously, the worst of what he really was doing. I don't know what it was. I always see the twisted side of life. So with that in mind, it's it's uh, always looking out of it. I mean, not a negative side, just a darker side, if you know what I mean. Yes, precisely. <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, I had the same uh, perspective as well. I always questioned why things were how they were. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, um, and I, I truly enjoy living in a surreal world. So, I mean, if it's just horror or even science fiction or just just twisted, just something differently. Anything away from the norm, I think, is, is, is where my mind's at. The, the, the realm of creativity. <laughs> definitely I mean reality is so boring I concur and uh, <laughs> based on IMDB uh, most of your contribution to the genre lies in music composition and I as a musician I'm always curious uh, can you please share your philosophy and the sciences for score especially for horror films well music obviously being my first love I mean I started as a musician, a lead singer when I was young, and eventually um, and it led me to producing, composing, writing, and publishing uh, music for films, whether it's for television or for um, cinema. So basically, I think, I mean, my life is music. I mean, it still is. I have to listen 
to even if I'm just walking around, I just need to have some kind of a soundtrack because I feel that it makes me think the way I want to think, move the way I want to move, communicate the way I would want to communicate. Maybe not so much if I wasn't listening to music, I would be in a different frame of mind. So with that said, when you're composing for films, it's really up for, you know it's really up to you to set the mood. I mean, not com- not just like a good listener and a good uh, a good talker. You know when to hold back, so you're not trying to overpower a film, but you're trying to complement it. So, I mean, I've always found music very important in films. There are some filmmakers, as you know, I think Hitchcock was one of them. A few others that don't use any music at all in some of their films, and um, you know, I imagine some of that works, but. Personally, for me, I find it, um, if a film has a bad soundtrack, I have a tendency not to continue to watch the film. So with that said, to me, music is very important in the film and to get the mood right and help tell the story. Oh, absolutely. And I've seen the recent rise on scores, especially for film, well, especially for video games and help build the, the mood for the, to engage the, the player. Oh, definitely. I mean, some of these video games have, I mean, have big, obviously big artists doing them, but I mean, they're fabulous alone just to have the soundtrack to a video game. And some of the new television shows on whether it's on Netflix or Amazon and, and Hulu, without the music, you know, they wouldn't have what they have there because the music really drives the scene. I want to delve into the paranormal and how you've contributed uh, your career and into this filmmaking. I remember uh, a few years back the film Death Tunnel, and since then uh, you've released your films centered on the paranormal. Can you share some insight on your philosophy on this topic? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it all started actually with the, the, I mean, we worked for many different uh, entertainment organizations before we um, got into, I guess, the realm of horror. And uh, the first horror film we actually made was called Dark Place. And that actually led us to do Death Tunnel. And of course, Death Tunnel being filmed at a, you know, one of the most haunted places in the world, Waverly Hill Sanatorium, which is, is, you know, definitely one of the most scariest places I've ever been. And um, that was full of paranormal activity. And um, that kind of led to the introduction of that, you know, there is a chance that paranormal is very real because we experienced it while we were filming it, enough that we brought in another film crew to film us filming. And then that in turn ended up to be our documentary, Spook the Ghosts of Waverly Sanatorium, which Sci-Fi Channel picked up in the United States, and then Sony Pictures picked up the film. So at that point, we were into the paranormal, and anybody that's into the paranormal knows that once you've experienced it or felt it, especially in your soul, that kind of, you know, the adrenaline or that, that shivers that go down your spine, you can't just get out of it. You just can't let it go. And for us, we didn't let it go. And, and um, the market, you know, wanted more of it. Sci-Fi Channel wanted more of it. So we started continuing to make uh, documentaries and movies. So that's kind of how it started. Amazing. And um, I have to agree. Um, I'm kind of on defense 
with the paranormal. I'm, I'm a skeptic and I'm also a believer. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, uh, she's had some experiences because she's a, she's a sensitive and she picks up things that you know normal people can't. And she has experiences, and I always it always fascinates me about these stories. So, do you picture yourself uh, now being more connected with the supernatural realm now that you've uh, explored the concepts and the history behind these places? Definitely. I mean, it's made me more of a believer, but also a non-believer because I mean, not every place is haunted that they say is haunted. Just because um, something tragic happened there, not necessarily means that the place is full of ghosts. I mean, I you know, haunted, uh, haunted could mean anything. It's like we ended calling the company spooked because of that. Being spooked means something more than being spooked by a ghost. You know, it means just being spooked in general. It makes you think, you know, whether it's a a man-made thing or a spectral thing. But I think that. Um, sadness and the oppression and the depression you feel in these places are from lingering um, tones of what had happened there with abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, disease, no hope, um, fear in based. And then, cause, you know, at that point, these places are abandoned and then you've got the generation that comes in and practices, you know, uh, you know dark magic, uh, partial forms of satanic rituals. Of the, of the worst kind, and then you create another form of energy of of just being pure, you know, bad and pure evil in that sense. So you're mixing all these energies together, and then somebody, you know, that's somewhat sensitive, and that means, you know, you, basically that you have emotional, you have some kind of compassion, makes you a sensitive person. You don't have to be a psychic or a medium. You can be, a, you know, especially for artists, you know, whether it's a painter, writer, actor, musician, or, or you know, women are very sensitive or you're very sensitive men, you're going to pick it up sooner than, you know, somebody that's a non-believer would. And then you'll feel all those emotions that happen there, you know, from the sadness to depression to the, um, you know, the evil thoughts, the, the dark energy. And that's what lingers in these buildings. And then, you know, to concur, you, you hopefully, you know, if you're blessed to see some kind of a spectral figure, some kind of an entity, and get an EVP or, you know, get a witness of some kind of a, you know, a feeling, then it's a, it's a blessing that they want, they want you to, you know, tell this story or they feel that you, you have no ulterior motive except to be possibly there to help them. And so what we do in our films is we try to tell the story and create closure. Yes. Um, um, that also ties into my next question. Um, in your field of filmmaking, how does it bridge the gap between fiction and nonfiction? Well, there's nothing scarier than the truth. So um, that's where you start. I mean, when you do a story on anything, I mean, if, you, if it's a narrative story and it's a fictional story, but if you do a uh, obviously non-fictional story, you're going to end up finding something that is scarier than the original story you know, that you went out to get. Like, you know, it's like unearthing a tree. You're going to see all the roots and the branches above and the roots below, and they lead to somewhere else. And then you start following that road, and then you get on that path. And before you know it, that's much more scary or much more, you know, exciting than possibly the one you went out for. And I think the bridge 
of, I mean, most of all everything we do is true, is based on true events. So as being non-fictional, I think there would be possibly maybe just a little bit more elaborate because the scene, as far as making movies, that scene might not be as exciting if you didn't put this in it to sparse it up. And um, I think that's also the power of a of a painter or any kind of artist that he always sees something more elaborate than what is happening anyway. So it's not really necessary in doing something that is um, fictional if it's enhanced, you know, um, from an artistic sort of view. So I think we bridge that gap just by making it full of emotion, whichever, you know, the emotion needs to go up or down. Yes, and I do get that because I do, uh, I watch the occasional uh, TV reality shows like Ghost Adventures and I see how elaborate they set up the the scenes before they go into the investigation. Yeah, well, I mean, those shows are a little different. I mean, not saying, you know, one way up or down on them, but they're a little different than really what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though they've, since we started, doing these shows back in 2003, 2004, I think we were, you know, really focusing on the history. And we still are. And back then, those shows, when they were starting to come out, was more about just, you know, the bones down to, you know, get the investigating going. And they weren't really worried about, they wanted to know, you know, if it was haunted, not why it was haunted. And, you know, obviously why it's haunted is much more important because, then you're there to help. And a lot of these shows um, are not there really to help. They're just there to exploit and to uh, put a trophy on the wall and put a dollar in somebody's pocket. So I'm not really a fan of of, of a lot of those shows as much as I am a really good story that's told that creates you to feel the emotion of... See, basically our stars in our films are the the locations and the spirits and the re- real people not you know the you know the cute ghost hunters so to speak you know um i understand what we need to do to sell and how we need to market it but i think when you're especially treading on which is close to what you could call grave dancing you need to do it respectful oh absolutely because i'm i'm i'm, I'm a believer of uh respecting especially a place that's sacred and uh you know that you're going into an area that has so much anguish or whatever rich history you cannot just walk in with 20 cameras and expect some results yeah i mean i think you could if you are really there to help. I mean, I, I truly believe like, you know, when would, someone would come into your house, I would think that you would know if they have true um, meaning of, of, of why they're there, whether they're to help or whether they're to take. And it's that gut feeling you have. So when you mm-hmm. arrive there with cameras and you're not, you know, you really just say, okay, what's going on here? How can I help? I'm going to film this so I can you know, study this later and try to figure it out and hopefully tell the world so this, you know, this atrocity does not happen ever again. That's the best way, obviously, to make something not happen again is show it out and and get people's emotions on it. So I think that we've always been lucky bringing in all these cameras 
and and really pretty much though we do stay a lot longer than many many of the other shows you know we we've stayed up i mean we filmed wave hills three you know over three years you know going back and forth and when we did the exorcist house we went back many times including going back you know um oh god eight years later you know it's just not like you just go there in a day or an hour and say okay let's hope we get something i mean if you're lucky and it works out, you might, but pretty much you won't, you know. Right, precisely, I agree. And in your professional opinion, uh, what is the paranormal activity? Why does science fail to acknowledge its existence? I mean, there's a whole procedure you guys do to research. There's history. There's science involved during the investigation. What do you think uh, science fails to acknowledge this? Um, I think, uh, your gut feeling, I think that, you know, I mean, are you paranormal yourself? Are you in the uh, paranormal? Uh, yes, I do. I, I know there's stuff out there. I have never experienced it. I mm-hmm. want to. I've been, uh, trying to find somebody local and say, hey, you know, you guys are ghost hunters. Let me see. Let me experience this firsthand. Well, you know, really all you need to do is go into some place that has a form of history. I mean, you can't have, can you, I mean, it's a good, really interesting question. Can you have ghosts without history? Mm -hmm. I don't think you can. And so without the history, you don't have the ghost. So I think if you go in there, you can really start to feel um, the signs of of, of, um, what possibly happened there. I mean, we've gone into places where, we were told something was happening and found out something, you know, different was happening that was um, maybe biased against the person who said, well, you got to come here and do this. And we find out that they were doing something that created something that obviously um, didn't work out very well in the house and ended up becoming very um, dark and tormented. So, I mean, I think you have to be in touch with spirituality to go in and feel anything. I mean, you can't feel anything um, and feel those signs without some form of of um, being spiritual. It's not like you just walk in there blind, being unconscious, meaning that you're just, you know, open to anything. You don't care either way. I mean, you just don't care. And you've got to care and be passionate, maybe somewhat obsessive and eccentric in a way. Because that opens you up to the other signs that are out there to, you know, obviously, the, and to pave the path of the person that you're going to be. Very interesting uh, perspective there. Um, never thought of it that way. I learned something new. <laughs> well, I mean, if you practice spirituality and you really start to get in tune with your real life, you can only imagine how it gets in tune with the afterlife. You really have to be together before you walk into a place and try to take in what happened here without obviously jumping to conclusions and maybe being a mass hysteria because these people saying something's moving over there and it just like it just grows like a, a false tumor or something. It's it's something that you really need to be in touch with and um and also know what story you're trying to tell and um we've always been um favorites of underdog stories redemption is a great word for that 
Mm. And um, touching on your later, your last uh, release, according to INDB, the Exorcist file that you had mentioned, uh, what was the most insightful thing that you had discovered during this documentary? Well, um, the Exorcist file actually isn't our last release. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that, but our last movie for Sci-Fi Channel was Dead Still. And Dead Still is about, um, it's actually a fictional story based on real things that inspired it. And it's actually pretty cool. It's about a death Victorian uh, photography camera about capturing the dead when he used to do post-mortem photos. And, um, you know, kind of things created from that. As far as the Exorcist file, um, it's the true story of the Exorcist. It's really where um, the story was um, told. Um, most of the story happens in St. Louis, Missouri, where our, our documentary is about. And it's in a house, his uncle's house, where he moved there before he um, got uh, admitted into the hospital, uh, the sort of the violent ward in uh, St. Um, Election Brothers Hospital. So what's really cool is when you go down there, you, you're really in the real place, the real bedroom that basically the bed was supposed to levitate and you know, all that stuff, if you've seen the movie, happened in the room of a house. Where this house is where we filmed it, and that bedroom is where we filmed it. And then, of course, we get a copy of the real diary, and we followed that. And um, we interviewed as many people that were still alive and that knew about the story. So, I mean, it was fascinating to hear it from the real people or the real family that it, you know, it was involved in. And then who would have thought, you know, that being, you know, Exorcist was probably the scariest movie I've ever seen when I was a teenager, or actually younger than a teenager. And um, who would have thought that no one ever had gone into the real house that happened in and had a chance to share that with the world of what it was like to go into the real house and, and naturally then also be the first one to do a paranormal investigation inside the scariest bedroom in the world. Oh, that must be, you see, the goosebumps just hearing about this experience. It was, and, you know, we went back. Um, actually, I went back um, two years ago, I think it was now, and did a, a live show for Destination America called Exorcism Live, and they were, they were doing an, a live exorcism of a house live, and it was the Exorcist house. So they invited me. Um, being that I had, had a copy of the diary as well as had been there before and shot a documentary, a lot of crazy stuff happened, including one of our, our main uh, friends and and um, producers and uh, investigators got burned on his neck with a shake up a cross burned in his neck. As well as we got lots of um, EVPs and readings and uh, picked up a lot of very vulgar language on our recorders. Um, you know, when you get very vulgar language, you know, the C word for the female and um, the F word are very used very violently, you know you're against something that's very angry. And we got a lot of those words. And so it was an angry energy that was there. And judging by when we went back two years ago, it had gotten much worse in the sense that the person that was living in the house must have had a negative energy and was feeding it, and it was not going away at any time soon. 
So it was actually a house I chalked off my list to ever want to return. I I really don't want to go back there. Wow, that's that's very profound. And uh, yeah, I, I also believe that you know humans us we also charge that energy, whatever it is that's living in the home. However, you portray yourself, it just feeds off of it. Yeah, or well, anything like that. Actually, you know. That's, you, at work, that could happen. Anything you feed off of emotions and reactions and feelings that happen. So, um, like I said, it's really good to just be in tune with your, you know, yourself, whether you're religious or you're not, which is fine. It's just being true to yourself and believing in yourself. And uh, whatever you do believe in, believe. I always say it doesn't really match it, no matter what you believe in, but there's nothing worse than someone that doesn't believe in anything. Absolutely, yes. Yes, I concur fully with that statement, definitely. Yeah. And it's a shallow well, existence at that point. Of course, because you need to have some type of guidance in, in some way, some type of yeah, philosophy. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, say what God you're believing, as long as it's a good God, in the sense of you're not hurting people, because I'm, I'm very firm believing that everybody is the same. So if you're believing in something that is going to hurt people and demean somebody, belittle, whatever, bully, then that is not, you know, a religion at all. That's a... That's uh, an order. That's a, that's a uh, an execution. That's just an execution or a concept of where you need to go and where you, where you're not coming back. It's not a good place to be. Exactly, and some people choose that type of belief in order to succeed in their life. They find that to be the easy way to attain their goals. We see that a lot in, in unfortunately in government, and it's disguised as being um, helping. And you know very well that. First of all, people are, are not blind, you know, they're not deaf. They they know what's really going on, and sometimes it's just overpowering. And what they really need to do is um, believe in themselves. And, um, you know, I think we had this discussion the other night when we had a little get-together. We just all sat around. It didn't matter who you believed in politically or religiously. The religion or the whole concept of it is just everybody being friends here right now you know, possibly giving, you know, watching each other's back and just being nice to each other. That is your main political goal, your main religious right there. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, one more question before I uh, I close it out with another question. <laughs> um, sinister entities are everywhere, and I'm, I conduct the research, you know, uh, there's all these subliminal messages on poster art and films. Uh, what is your personal opinion on these uh, um, signs that is out there hidden in plain sight? Well, I, I'm not, you know, it's just really interesting because I'm not really sure. I mean, you're going to say, well, I don't know if I've seen them or not. I mean, we've all know about subliminal frames that they threw in The Exorcist, which I think were four frames. Don't quote me on that, but I believe they're like four, four frames. And if you know how many frames four frames is, that's a lot. So I don't know if that's subliminal or if it's, a, if it's four frames or one frame is, is hard to catch. But I can see one frame because when you're an editor, and I, I am an editor as well as my, my partner and brother, Philip, is, is the main editor. You can see 
when something's wrong with a cut, you know, which is subliminal. So when you're putting something hidden in there or you're putting something in a poster, I do hope it's something that you're trying to make better instead of just doing it for sales reasons or you're just doing it to possibly hurt somebody. Um, I just don't think there's any room in the world today to have more of, 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 there's no room in the world today to have more darkness than what's going on right now. And exactly. um, so I would, I would suggest everybody you're putting subliminal stuff in there was make it a positive thing because we really could use the help. Exactly. I agree. I agree. And for my final question, what is on the horizon for yourself? And I know, um, your wife has some work, uh, upcoming work, uh, I believe it's literature. Um, um, well, we write books and, and do we, we, we write books and we create art as well now, which has just been a thing that, you know, through our, we make films and we do TV shows. And of course I still do music. It's been a while since I've done any new music. I have, um, if you, um, all my music is on, is on iTunes and, on Google Play under the name Christopher Saint. So if you Googled that, you would um, you would find my music, which basically I've released every soundtrack we've done, and so to so. And then we do a lot of art, um, which is just basically the dark images of what we've filmed and what we've captured in, in haunted places, and also just in general in our films, which truly is an art form in itself because. Um, We've gotten a lot of success from that. A lot of people saying that you just draw me into this when I look at this picture and I've got to have it, you know, kind of thing. So that's done very well. And so our, our newest things we're working on is we're actually working on um, Death Tunnel 2, which is really cool. Uh, we're working on several new um, scripts and movies right now. And we hope to get them started as uh, at least as soon as maybe late this summer. So. Um, we just uh, keep pumping them out because it's what we do. Great. Thank you. By the way, thank you so much for your contributions to the art genre, especially for this material um, and this uh, insight on the paranormal. It's just one of the topics that I personally enjoy listening to and uh, I, I enjoy it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, like I said, if you're interested and you want to really read an in-depth thing, I, I'd actually release this. And this is not a shameless plug, but it actually is true. But I had released a book, uh, I think it was two years ago, called Paranoia, The Strange Case of uh, Ghosts, Aliens, and Demons. And it's basically, it stretches over, um, is it uh, 30 different cases that I've gone through that a lot that TV would not even let let us shoot because it was so wicked. And what's cool about the book is it approaches it from the fact side and then the um, the religious side and also the paranormal side and then also the personal side. Like, um, now what is going to happen to me or how can I walk away and not do this after I found out this happened here? And, and then it goes into the different hauntings and so it's, it's a very good book, and that's on Amazon as well as at uh, my website, spooktv.com. So, I mean, just, it's a very fascinating book into the world of what really happens in the paranormal world. Mm, yeah, that's a book. I'm a shameless plug on that. I'm going to get this book. <laughs> I think you'd really enjoy it because it's it's um, written. I mean, not, I'm not saying that I'm I'm a great writer. I just write it from 
the way I guess the way I'm talking now is just the what I felt when I so I would go in to do a case and then I would write down how this feels and, and what does it mean and what's it going to mean and then you know what are other people's feeling about this because they're saying this they say a little they say demons are here and we found out a little girl got burned alive and then you know, mm-hmm. how are you going to sit there and exploit it? And what are you going to do with this? And then the little girl, you can't, you, you get you get back in the studio in Los Angeles and you hear an EVP that says, um, Mommy, why is Daddy doing this to me? Oh, God. You know, and what are you supposed to do? So, you know, you're just going to go, well, we're not going back. So we, we actually packed back up and went back out to find out what was going on. You know, so I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a responsibility right i guess a human and an inhuman responsibility so but thank you for having me thank you thank you so much i a lot of great insight i appreciate it exclusive interview director co-writer bob clark co-writer bruce kilroy strip club massacre You start running your mouth, I am gonna teach you a lesson. So, Megan, tell me why you wanna work here. Well, to be completely honest with you, I just really need a job. I really, really need money right now. I'm completely broke. But you wanna stay on everyone's good side here, especially Jazz. She's very territorial over the guys that pay for her stuff. What are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing, Bobby? I don't wanna do that. Trust me. Strip Club Massacre has released early this month. The horror thriller feature is directed by Bob Clark, the feature produced and the script penned by Bruce Kilroy. The cast stars Alicia Watson, Aaron Brown, Courtney Ritz, Mark Law, Stefan Rollins, and Layla Heather Penley. Strip Club Massacres follows Megan, portrayed by Watson, who after a bad breakup with her boyfriend, moves in with her best friend. She finds out that her husband Bobby, portrayed by Rollins, is the owner, is the co-owner of a strip club. Broke and desperate for money, Megan agrees to work as a waitress. When waitressing isn't enough to pay the bill, she decides to become a dancer. She soon finds out that the other dancers are very jealous and competitive when it comes to business and the club patrons. She finds out just how ruthless uh, they can be. Ken Artus and myself has had the pleasure to interview director Bob Clark and writer and producer Bruce Kilroy. In this very insightful and candid interview, they elaborate on the making of the film as well as give their opinions on horror cinema and hardcore films. They talk more about other works, including what's in store for the future. This is Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DKMag.com. Joining me today is writer and producer Bruce Kilroy. Uh, his latest project is Strip Club Massacre. And also joining us in this conference is Bob Clark, co-writer and director for Strip Club Massacre. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I would be issuing questions for Bob and Stacy. She would be um, issuing questions for Bruce. All right, sounds good. Yeah, sounds great. 
All right, Stacy, ladies first. <laughs> Serving as writer for de- produ- producer for Strip Club Massacre, uh, which role proved more challenging and why? Uh, I would say by far helping produce the film. Uh, the writing process for Bob and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare call it easy, but it went very smoothly and we seemed to click on all of our ideas and the script came together fairly quickly. And so we felt really confident going in that, okay, we've got the story. Now we need to bring that story to life. And so that's when, you know, he took the reins as director and I, uh, yeah, I started helping co-produce and, and, um, you know, to be completely honest, as this was our first full-length feature, you know, we, we did a good bit of learning on the go. Um, so that was definitely a challenge, but, uh, overall, I, I think I'm completely happy with the way we both, uh, um, kind of took control of, of what we were doing and did, you know, did our best to, to bring the film to life. So. Cool. Thanks. And I'm going to touch up on that challenging part that you just mentioned. Um, for Bob, judging by the aesthetics and the editing, do we see homages paid to the Grindhouse era? Uh, you know what? We going into the film, we kind of wanted a little bit of a a grindhouse look. Uh, as as we went on during the production and the post, we kind of went away from it. But yeah, early on, you know, you can Bruce can attest to this. Early on, yeah, you know, I was I'm a fan of the the grindhouse, so I did kind of want that look and that feel. Thanks, Stacy. Bruce, uh, what was the ideal context when creating the antagonist for Strip Club Massacre? Uh, I think what Bob and I's goal was to was to create a character that was both relatable and hateable. So um, I think that's what we tried to do above all else is is make it so uh, we had a uh, a believable character, someone that kind of we all can say like, oh man, I, I know someone like that, like you know. Um, so we wanted, you know, we wanted it, we wanted the character relatable and hateable. I think that, that was our two main goals. So. And uh, Bob, I'm curious with all the cutthroat tactics in the corporate world and even for the nonprofit world, uh, why the backdrop for a gentleman's club and why strippers? Oh, you know, the the original film idea was was actually not my idea. Um, I, someone came to me with the title, and I was like, that's a really catchy title. So I asked the, the person, you know, what's this story about? And he's like, I don't know. I just have a title. I'm like, oh, wow. So uh, I wrote the story. You know, strip clubs are something that a lot of guys frequent. And, you know, there's been a couple of movies, I think, that have taken place in a strip club, but nothing – quite like we did so um i thought it was a fun environment something pretty unique and um you know sexy because you know and sex sells so sex and gore and horror i think was a a great combination to that's why we're here today (laughs) i think you you almost gave away my my next question (laughs) (laughs) stacy Bruce, um, I want to talk a little bit about your filmography filmography to date, please. Excuse me. Uh, You seem to take an interest in creating female-dominant projects. And this is a topic that we speak highly of. What is your viewpoint on the strong female role in horror cinema? Well, first of all, I'll say, you know, um, the, the, the two projects that Bob and I both worked together on, I don't think we 
I'll be honest, I don't think we set out uh, on any kind of a specific mission. These were just some some options or some ideas that were presented to us, and we felt really, really good about pursuing them and making sure we represented it well. Um, I think that at this day and age, I think that, um, I guess, uh, assuming that the the female role in any kind of a movie, much less a horror movie, is it's it's antiquated. I know it plays a large role in the horror movies that we all grew up with in the seventies and eighties and so on. And and I think it served its purpose at the time, but I really just feel like that kind of an attitude is antiquated. So for us, it really wasn't a it wasn't a let's on purpose make this you know the the way it is. We just you know we wrote the film with with what we wanted to do and how the story uh, progressed the way we wanted to and. And it, it just happened to be, you know, strong female roles and it worked well and it played well. And I mean, I think if that if that speaks on, I guess, you know, female empowerment, that's all the all the better. We have obviously no, no issue with that. But um, yeah, I don't think um, I don't think we set out to purposely prove a point. I think it just kind of worked out that way. And, and we're quite happy that it did. So. Yeah, I agree. I think the the vibe of the film would be different if it were uh, Chippendales or something like that. <laughs> well, don't don't go spoiling our sequel now, okay? Jeez. Uh, yeah, I'm playing the lead. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob, watching the film, there was a hilarious comment. Uh, one of the characters she says uh, something about shitty independent horror films. <laughs> What right. was that all about? <laughs> we were honestly, me and Bruce, you know, Bruce lives quite a ways away from me. So during the writing of the script, you know, we would, I would write a few scenes or whatever, and I'd say, hey, man, you know, go back and, and look. And then one day I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, this is going to suck. It really doesn't. I'm just kidding. But you no, know, I was sitting there writing and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm about to do something that I enjoy. Like, I really, really love independent horror films. And the line just hit me. I thought, you know, it would be a, a clever way to bring a chuckle and kind of pay homage to yourself, but yet in a funny, not a negative way, but I thought it was funny to kind of, you know, sometimes it's, it's good to kind of not put yourself down, but, you know, be self-aware and self-conscious of what you're doing. It, it worked. It, it threw me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, Bruce, um... Along with Strip Club Massacre, as well as your other, your show, Southern Soul Searchers, mm -hmm. um, it looks like you lean towards real life horrors um, rather than imaginative horror. Is this safe to say? Uh, it's actually, it's 100% safe to say for, for two main reasons. You know, Southern Soul Searchers, while, while we didn't get the end result we set out for, um, it's a great learning process, but you know it's very much paranormal themed, and and that's a very big interest to me. So that kind of definitely got me interested right away. Um, so uh, to the second point, um, and Bob will tell you this, <laughs> uh, he'll tell you this loud and proud. But you know, one thing that that he loves especially, and I'm I'm certainly a fan of, is you know a situ you know creating a situation that is believable, that is that is could really happen, you know. Um, so I think that's what we kind of tried to pull the, the, the horror element. I mean, you know, it's like a classic revenge flick basically. Um, but you know, for us, the horror element is that these are things that are, could, you know, could legitimately happen. And I think that, I think 
something being a possibility is it just increases that's that scare factor that fright factor the, the horror aspect of it so much more so yeah it just it turns out yeah both of these projects that we worked on have that very real element to it for for two different reasons one you know paranormal and, and two uh, just a, a really demented group of people that I, i'm sure are out there somewhere you know maybe not to quite the extreme we took it to, but they're there, you know, and I think that's what we loved about it. I agree, and I actually say in the uh, film review for Strip Club Massacre that they're not monsters or vampires or zombies, nothing like that. They're uh, <laughs> a group of rich, privileged, you know, demented people. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> you definitely, you definitely uh, uh, proved that in that film. Excellent. I'm going to stray away from my next question since we're on a topic of the paranormal. Uh, I'm curious, uh, soul, Southern Soul Searchers, uh, what was the premise? Was that more of a documentary of the paranormal or something that we normally see on TV like Ghost it was Hunt? A, uh, it was a pilot we were producing for an all-female paranormal investigative show. Uh, the the catch to the show was we were not going to do anything fake. We were not going to go after just ratings. We weren't gonna, you know, we weren't gonna create the effect that there was actually para paranormal activity going on. Uh, the case was gonna be we were actually going. It was gonna be all females, and they were, you know, very attractive females. Then we had five or six that were part of the team that all except two actually had paranormal investigative experience. But the, the premise of the show was to have these cute girls from from the southeast you know, United States, but they were going to actually help people who really needed help. It was people who they really thought their homes were haunted or people that really thought there was some kind of activity in their homes, their place of work. So it wasn't just going out ghost hunting for the hell of ghost hunting. It was actually a, a show that the premise was to try to help people. Because we also had a psychic medium on our team and an ordained minister was also part of the team as well. Oh, wow. That's yeah, I think, um, sorry to just chime in real quick. I, I think that, uh, you know, the, I guess the uh, activeness of the of the women that we had on the show was really just a, a coincidence because, as Bob said, we, yeah, we had, you know, people with legitimate experience. We didn't just say, let's, let's, let's throw ghost hunting babes together and see what happens. So definitely, you know, we had people with legitimate experience and, and um, right. you know, time, time and service. But um, actually, one of, one of the girls from the show, actually her and her mother recently wrote a book about paranormal investigation. It's actually been published and it's one of the best sellers in paranormal right now. So um, she's doing really well. But yeah, it was a, it was a legit thing. It wasn't we weren't trying to have fun or it was it was a, a real legit project that we were working on. Oh, that is very interesting. And uh, a little FYI. Um, this podcast, I, earlier this week, I interviewed Christopher St. Booth, and I okay. guess you guys are aware of his experience in documenting the paranormal. Absolutely, yes. It's going to be awesome. a very interesting show. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> Stacey, you're next. Well, Bruce, uh, you mentioned that you um, that paranormal is very dear to you. Um, have you had any personal experiences in this subject? You know, I have not had any experiences myself, but it's a subject that I, I do take a good amount of interest and entertainment in. Um, um, uh, but no, I mean, I, I can't say that uh, there's any uh, been any one thing that's that's made me a believer. I just I do believe in the 
guess the idea of it, the concept of it. Um, but uh, no, I, I couldn't. I couldn't really tell you any, you know, personal ghost stories or anything like that. But um, it's just, yeah, it's something that interests me a, a great deal. And and um, yeah, there's an entertainment factor to it. But um, yeah, I hate to be um, <laughs> to not have a good story to back up my, you know, my appreciation for it. But no, I just I, I don't have any experiences. But I I 100% believe in the paranormal. So. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, for Bob, <clears throat> um, watching the film, it was obvious. It looked like it was a lot of fun together. But in all seriousness, uh, what do aspiring filmmakers need to consider before venturing into making a full feature film? Um, I'll be honest. This was, yeah, it was a challenge. And like I've said on interviews before, uh, it's not so much a full feature film. If you If you have the funding and you have the team around you do it but the the thing that i can say about your very first full feature is limit the locations and limit the amount of characters and extra scenes uh that was the most challenging part was i think throughout the film we may have had to find locations for nine or ten different locations and luckily we had a home that a friend of mine owned that was a large enough home but um just having the a, the large number of locations can really be a challenge. So I would just say keep your locations small, keep your cast small, and build up from there. Uh, that's very good advice. And let me tell you, I, I tried to venture into uh, filmmaking, and that was rule number one. Yeah. Yep. I realized that about halfway through filming, then it was too late. <laughs> well, I, with the power of the internet, they have more resources now to find locations and, and at an affordable price, too. I mean, it's by the hour, but if your limited budget, I mean, if your budget calls for it, that's an option. Right, exactly. Agreed. Well, um, Bruce, um, on IMDb, Southern Soul Searchers has a, a release of 2015, but there's no episodes or much show or information on the show. Do you know what is the status on the show today? As far as I knew, um, I think you know. Really, the main issue was. Um, I think I think it was due. Bob can correct me if I'm wrong here, but really, it was due to to the budget budgetary restrictions that. Um, we're not able to push the pilot episode to a format that could garner you know, the attention that we thought it would need to to gain some traction. So, you know, um, as far as I know, the girls uh, are still active in their respective fields. Um, but I think that the idea for the show has kind of gone on the back burner. And I think to no fault of anyone's, I think it was just um, it was something we all felt we wanted to do if we could make it happen. And I think we gave it a great varsity effort. Uh, we just weren't able to, to, you know, get it across that finish line, so to speak. So, yeah. um, it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a fun time. We didn't, you know, I don't think uh, I would never consider it a failure, uh, you know, on any, on any level, but it just, it didn't get, you know, didn't get to that finish line that we wanted to. So we, we, uh, you know, took our lessons and, and kind of, you know, just knew that we had to say, okay, you know, we gave it a great, a great try and, and everybody was amicable about, you know, kind of going, okay, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and pursue the next project. Cause these other girls, they had things that they, they wanted to do as well. So I think we were all bummed, but I think that also we knew that 
you know, we were, we were kind of fighting an uphill battle to begin with. So, um, you know, it's right. What do they say? You know, you, you get knocked down, you got to just pick yourself back up and get on with it. And I think, you know, if, Hey, if that had, if that had gone on to bigger and better things and strip club massacre wouldn't exist. And I truthfully am sitting here right now today telling you, I don't want to live in a life for me personally, where a strip club massacre doesn't exist. I mean, I think, uh, well, I could talk about it all day long, uh, but I know we have limited time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, no matter the outcome of Strip Club Massacre, no matter what it becomes, uh, you know, it's something that Bob and I are totally proud of and very passionate about. And I don't think Bob or I, either one, would want to be in a situation where we hadn't gone through this experience. So I think, uh, yeah, the the eh, the demise of Southern Soul Searchers really just paved the way for the birth of Strip Club Massacre. And I think we're both OK with that. Thank you. Yeah, what they said for a reason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Bob, uh, in your opinion, uh, since uh, Strip Club Massacre is uh, heavily influenced with the revenge concept, uh, in your opinion, has the controversial visuals gone down in the revenge theme concept, such as. Controversial visuals meaning what? I'm sorry. I'm just. Trying to get a better idea of the question. Uh, like I spit in your grave type of visuals back right. in the 70s. And now we have some watered down Disney uh, revenge concepts coming out now. Like, yeah, 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 I agree with that. And just not to throw anything out there, but Bruce and I have some more things on the horizon that I plan to get even more uh, dirty with. Little, We're going to step our game up a little more from Strip Club Massacre. But yeah, going back to your question. Um, I absolutely believe that. I mean, I, you know, some sometimes I think the the revenge or the or the how they get the revenge sometimes is a little over the top. But you do, like you did say, you do see a lot of the watered down nowadays. And I want to take it. I mean, I, I want mine to a a higher level. And I hope I'm answering your question the way you want or the given the type of answer you're looking for. But yeah, I agree. And I think horror nowadays needs to step their game up, especially independent horror, small budgets. There, there's ways. And, I, you know, I look at our film alone and I and there's certain scenes in our film that I'm like, God, if I just had the budget. We'd have done this. Or if I if I'd known how it would look now, I'd have done this just to make it that much more disturbing, if you will. Yes, and disturbing is what we need in horror. Exactly. <laughs> well, you're going to get some more from us. So don't worry. I definitely agree. And I'm excited for that. I am a big fan of disturbing. And actually, just while we're on that, uh, Bruce, mm -hmm. um, in terms of, okay, in terms of, you know, horror and disturbing, and we already know that a lot of these films usually go to like underground films, you know, they're not the ones that get that big cinematic release or that big sure. theater release. So how does that work? Like, are there any theaters out here that will like limit, like, you know, release those films like a limited release or something like that or is it pretty much just straight to video or straight to streaming you know i think in in within this genre and specifically within independent horror you know a lot of guys you know they they make their own I mean, they do everything from step one to step 100 including to self-distribute i think um and a lot of these guys will there are 
different movie theaters, for example, in different areas, like there's one in Atlanta that we rented out and screened the film in. So as far as like a limited release in a theater, I don't know that you're going to get that with some of these real hardcore indie films that that are that have been and are coming out. Um, and that's I think that's totally fine. I think there's a specific. I think there's a specific reason for that. I don't think that I don't think the creative people behind those movies create a movie so they can say, "Oh, I just want to get this movie into some theaters." You know, I mean, all all the better if they do for sure. But um, I'm totally losing my train of thought here. But um, huh. but yeah, there's definitely plenty of definitely plenty of theaters in different cities that that um, some of the horror conventions come to that you can rent out your rent out the theater and screen your movie there. But, you know, again, a lot of these guys, a lot of these artists, they make their own films, they self-distribute it, they do the con circuit, and that's that's their livelihood, and that's how they want to present their movie to people. And there are tons of people who love it, and that's that's all the – that's absolutely fantastic. You know, I don't think Bob or I anticipated the distribution deal. Um, we weren't opposed to it. Um but yeah, you know, we're obviously we're very uh, very thankful and very gracious and feel very humble that we were able to do that. Um, and, and it just that you know that distribution thing it it doesn't happen to all the movies that you see. Um, but nor does necessarily the people who make them want that to happen. So I think we're just kind of somewhere in that in that I guess that little gray area of maybe not not being underground enough. Maybe and I'm not sure. I mean, there's just there's so much out there, you know. Yeah, uh, we definitely agree. We talk about that a lot here as well, as far as these horror movies now being PG-13. Almost every horror movie that comes out now is PG-13, and we mm-hmm. actually have to go back, <laughs> you know, to, oh, yeah. yeah, we actually have to go back and to, like, really find the hardcore stuff. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with that. <laughs> And uh, Bob, you mentioned you wanted to step up your game. So, what is next for Megan and her friend? Uh, what other adventures do you have in mind? No, um, actually, our next bit, we, we're not going to do a sequel to Strip Club Massacre. Uh, not, that's not on our plate right now. We're not opposed to it, mm-hmm. but Strip Club Massacre Two is not anywhere on the radar as we speak. Uh, there's another project we, you know, we're, we're we got a couple um, things we're discussing right now, and as as the when the right time comes, as time goes along, we'll uh, we'll be announcing some more information on those. But just just oh, know I'm that sorry. what I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. When that um when that time comes, you guys will be very pleased. And Bruce, uh, mm-hmm. what other horror works do you have in the upcoming future? Uh, well, I think Bob and I are a package deal. I don't think you're going to, well, unless Bob hasn't told me yet, I don't think you're going to find one of us working on, I don't think you're going to find one of us working on something that the other isn't. I mean, we, if you guys haven't been able to tell yet, I'm super long-winded and Bob is probably going to text me after this interview and say, Jesus, man, couldn't you just be quiet for 10 minutes? But no, I can't. I've already done that. I've already done that. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, the thing is, Bob and I, we started out doing movie reviews, independent horror reviews and other horror movie reviews. So we did that and it, it wasn't, enough for us we said okay let's let's you know bob's got a marketing background let's show these indie guys market their horror films which we did a couple of and it was fun but uh you know with these small budget indie films there's not exactly a a marketing budget built into that kind of thing and so we said okay well we're still not quenching the thirst so what can we do and finally we just said well screw it we're just going to make our own movie and be done with it and when the right time comes or we get the right idea 
boom, we're on it. So that was our progression. And that's probably the quickest I've ever told that story in an interview uh-huh. or a pod or anything. So, <laughs> um, but that was the progression of what we did. And so, um, yeah, we've been together through this whole thing. And like I said, you're not going to find me working on anything that Bob isn't uh, and vice versa. And the only exception to that is if I cannot convince him at some point that we need a werewolf movie, he's going to, he's, he might just have to sit that one out because I'm, I've been begging him from day one, begging him from day one, werewolf, werewolf, werewolf. But he's just, uh, we're not there yet, you know, so. It'll be, uh, it'll be PG-13. And the werewolves will only have, the werewolves will only have beards. Because, yeah. uh, and then the vampires sparkle. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Oh um, but yeah, real bloody films is Bob and I, and it always will be. And yeah, with with yeah, one of us is working on about Bruce. Bruce is one hundred percent right there. I don't, I don't have any, I don't foresee anything in the future. One of us doing something, the other one doesn't. I mean, if if he gets an offer to produce something or direct something, I mean, by all means, more power to him. But all the plans that I have or he has right at this moment is definitely us together knocking this thing out together. Yeah, man, super buddy system. Right. I mean, we've known each other for like thirty years, so. It's kind of a long time coming. Right. Thank that's, you that's so much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what, the collaboration is Clark and Cleoroy or Barb and Bruce? Well, hmm. <laughs> I think we go Bob and Bruce, I guess. I don't know. Well, it depends <laughs> on who. Yeah, it depends on if he's making me send out some emails and he's like, oh, it's going to have to be Bruce and Bob. But um, yeah, it just depends on the task, I think. <laughs> right, right. And the same question for, uh, well, uh, for Bob, uh, for your upcoming projects, you mentioned that you wanted to up the ante. So you're going to be focusing more the budget wise for practical effects. Yes, sir. That's one of my main goals is um, practical effects. Like I said, again, uh, fewer locations and uh, a tighter, a tighter shoot schedule. You know, Strip Club Massacre was a challenge in the fact that, you know, we only had access. We actually shot at a real functioning strip club in Atlanta, Georgia, and we only had access to the club on Sundays. It was a day they were closed, and they would give us the club from about 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and we pretty much had free reign to go in there and do whatever we wanted. Um, But, you know, shooting once a week in an area that probably 65 percent, 70 percent of the movie took place, um, it's, you know, it it drags it out. So, you know, what? Going from a movie that we could have probably shot in about a month and a half took almost four, four and a half months to, to complete shooting. So next time, yes, budget on the effects and gore, absolutely. Um, not going to hold any punches on the gore. I don't care if it disturbs people or not. We're going we're gonna to go all in. And then, of course, you know, um, less locations and a little bit smarter with our budget. Cool, cool. But also, hopefully, our budget is going to be longer. I'm sorry, larger which would actually be a great help as well. Um, and this, I have one final question uh, you know, uh, for Bob. Uh, Bruce, you could also chime in on this. Uh, sure. Crowdfunding campaigns, is that something that will for your next project? Um, it, I mean, my, we haven't discussed this, Bruce and I, but I mean, crowdfunding is always a, not so much to raise money. I mean, yeah, the money's nice, but sometimes I think the crowdfunding is just a good way to market your film, to get your film out there and show people that you are about to do something. 
Um, it's, it's just a clever way to get people involved, to get people excited about something that's coming up. Um, I'm pretty sure we will do some sort of campaign, but we're hoping, um, you know, there's we have some, some potential friends and, and whatnot who were very happy with the success of Strip Club Massacre that might be willing to help us out as well. But I'm not opposed to a crowdfund by any means. Yeah, I agree with Bob for sure. I mean, you know, I think there are definitely two very distinct uh, schools of thought on crowdfunding. There are people out there that that embrace it and that, you know, love to feel like they're a part of it. And there are some people that think that, oh, well, crowdfunding is just for people to beg for money so they can make a film, you know. And, and uh, you know, that wasn't the case with Bob and I. I mean, we, you know, the film was being made regardless. Um, but, you know, we had a couple things we wanted to do. But, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about – and Bob said that he had a couple things on the back burner – a little bit ago and and um but it's we really have i think bob we've narrowed it we, we know what the one thing is right so well yeah um, we do know what the one thing is but i thought we, we discussed and i didn't want to be the guy that let it out there so i didn't want you yelling at me cussing at me but yeah we we have a project in the works we are about a fourth of the way through the screenplay so yeah it's pretty project. pretty early on for sure so i don't yeah. i guess my point being i don't know that we're going to crowdfund it i don't um because uh, you know what we found through when we crowdfunded for Strip Club Massacre is we could, you know, um, those platforms they do help and they do create a little bit of exposure and they're a great jumping off point. But I think that what I what I kind of learned from that is that you can kind of do your, I mean, you know, obviously you've got to have some kind of a reputable track record. But I think what I've discovered is that you can basically without having to use that third party as your crowdfunding platform. I mean, we, you know, we did basically, we, we did, you know, our own DVD pre-orders on our website before we even knew about distribution at all. So crowdfunding is great. I don't think it's, um, it might, might not be the way we go with this next one, but you know, we'll see. I, I don't think any one of us have a problem with it at all. So, but just know the next one's going to be strip club massacre on crack, like times 10. So be ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking forward to that. Stacy. Well, well, thank you guys, uh, Bob and Bruce. Um, I love Strip Club Massacre. I thought it was really great. It was very innovative. Oh, thank you. Thank I you really, so really much. appreciate that. <laughs> now, um, the platform is open. Please state your website, your social media, anywhere where we can tune in and get up-to-date information on not only on Strip Club Massacre, but also your upcoming projects. Go ahead, Bruce. You can give them the information. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So our website is uh, realbloody.com, and that's real as in R-E-E-L, so realbloody.com. And, uh, you know, it's I think it's probably marginally above a placeholder at this point. I mean, we have it there, and there is uh, there is all of our information on Strip Club Massacre there. But I think right now, if you want to keep up with Strip Club Massacre, you can search that name on on the major three social media, uh, social media networks uh, platforms to find us. Um, but right now, I think the biggest way is to go to Midnight Releasing's website, and they've got a whole page for the film and all the links to all the different platforms that we're out now on streaming and 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 uh, you know VOD and DVD as well. So um, that's yeah, Strip Club Massacre is searchable. We'll get you there on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and RealBloody.com, and yeah, for sure, Midnight Releasing's website. You can also follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at, at BobClark21. I post some funny stuff sometimes, so feel free to join in. So, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it's funny. Um, 
Yeah, and I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty unique. Mine's Bruce Kilroy on all platforms, so you can always, yeah, keep up with my shenanigans there as well. So, but thank you. Uh, I would like to thank you again for taking this time to meet with us today. My name is Absolutely. Stacey Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. And my name okay. is founder and editor for DK Mag. All right. Well, thank you. Hey, I really appreciate you guys having us. It was it was great to be on, and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I had a good time. I know we both did. So thank you guys for setting it up for us. Thank you, and we are definitely look for, looking forward to your other projects. Oh yeah, be ready. Be Excellent. ready. Thank you. Be ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have a good day, and thank y'all so much. Thank like you. Us. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Movies, a Serbian film ultimate director's cut. A Serbian film is back to stir up more frenzy. With Texas Frightmare Weekend at bay, news just surfaced that unearthed films have attained the U.S. rights to a Serbian film, and they will be releasing an ultimate director's cut. It will contain over five minutes of additional scenes, as well as over 60 hours behind-the-scenes footage to cut into special features. Stay tuned for updates on this release. A Serbian film is a horror mystery thriller directed by Serjan Spasojevic, co-written by Alexander Radio Radivojevic. <clears throat> co-written by Alexander Radivojevic. The film follows Milos, portrayed by Sir John Zika Todorovic, who is a porn star that's trying to retire from the business. He gets a business proposition from a mysterious director, Bukmer, portrayed by Sergei Trifunovic, who is a very secretive person. He directs underground films for an unidentified audience. At first, Milos is hesitant, but he is given an offer that he finds hard to refuse. The only information that is given to him is that he will be the star of the movie, he will be picked up and dropped off at the location, and all he has to do is act the part. Milos soon finds out the hard way that this film is in dangerous territory, but he has already signed the contract and Bukmer has no plans to let him back out. As Milos tries to get out, he becomes a pawn in Bukmer's game. A Serbian film was banned in several countries for offensive content that stirred up quite a rage in people. 
this is the film that should be at the very top of the most disturbing films of all times, or at least somewhere in the list. Whenever I read people's lists or what they deem the most disturbing films of all, and I do not see a serving film on the list, I am shocked. And this is not being overdramatic or overanalyzing. This film is literally fucked up. Pardon my French. It has some very heavy scenes in it, the snuff porn being among the obvious, but also some rape and pedophilia as well. The censored version alone was enough to bear. The director's cut added a shocking scene that's not seen in the censored version. And although it's a brief scene, it's a brutal scene. I can just imagine what they have in store for this ultimate director's cut, but I don't think it can be any worse than what's already been seen. What do you guys think about this? Well, I'm going to start off this conversation. You and I, Stacy, uh, a Serbian film, one of the best horror films, but I wouldn't consider it horror. It's more like a thriller. But the director, he went for a shock value. I mean, everything just, he had no, no boundaries in the making of this film. And the scene that you had just mentioned that's not in, found in the censored version, that's the newborn porn scene, right, Stacy? Yes. I mean... Newborn porn! Oh my gosh. <laughs> what was your reaction when you saw that? I mean... Oh, I just, I just couldn't. I'm just like, oh my god. I'm like, are you effing kidding me right now? I'm like, are you kidding me right now? That was my reaction. You got me. I mean, that's that's just who who thinks of that stuff? I mean, and then you had a scene where the main the protagonist he's having sex with a woman. She's tied up, and then he, he her she gets decapitated, and he's still banging her. Like, what the hell is this shit? What is, what is this film? It's just weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what really threw me for a loop was um, the, the one thing, like, close to the ending, the part where he and his co-star, but they were banging on two people, and you remember that scene? Yes. And when they pulled the head covers off, he was, yeah, his own son. I was like, ah. Uh, yes, yes. No. <laughs> that was, that I was cried. just, wow. That I was. Cried. And yeah, and I think the co-star was his brother. I think that was his brother. And the brother was, was, I mean, we could say fucking. Why not? Say fucking. He was yeah. fucking his wife. And the guy was fucking yeah. his son. His son. Who thinks of this stuff? Oh. His son was so, he, he was, was so distraught. His son was just like out of it. Oh man, that was like, what? He was like, what? Seven years old, nine years old? Come on. I, who yeah, I think he was like seven years old. Oh, he thinks? was so like, he was just like dead. He was like, no, I'm, I'm just dead. Oh, I mean, the movie is has so much depravity. I don't see why, I don't see why they're doing uh, this movie has so much depravity i don't see why they're doing uh, another release of this film and is that just because the movie is that the, it ha has so many crazy scenes is why why release it now 
just for an extra five minutes and I hear uh, according to this press release uh, that the film is going to have additional footage behind the scenes footage and it's originated for um, 60 hours of footage that the director did and they got to chop up those 60 hours for behind the scenes footage so I mean I'd rather watch it this new release just for the behind the scenes like you know hopefully they could do some commentary or explanation of the film and why they did that but I, that's curious why did they make this film what do you what do you think do you think this is a true some something happens in true life well i um i found an interview between the, i believe the director and the writer i think and they were saying that it's what's going on in Serbia. So it was like, it's like life in Serbia, pretty much. That's what they were saying on the interview. I don't know how true that is, but. Well, I know he, the director got arrested for, because they thought, uh, uh, I guess, you know, viewers or who, what have you, uh, thought that that newborn porn scene was real and the director got arrested because of that and he had to prove that no it, it was really a doll and it was all acting and it would you know the film wasn't a snuff film uh, or a pedophile film or whatever you, you call it but it to me it has to have basis in reality you know all films in some ways based on reality so where did this idea come from from a serbian film i have is so crazy indeed you remember this film a serbian film where uh, the protagonist is a porn star and he's forced to commit these films this he has sex with somebody where her head gets cut off um, a woman she's uh, chained up to a wall and she's choking to death on a guy's penis you remember this film a kind of think about it but it's not clicking but and it sounds at, familiar and then at the end he, the, the protagonist he gets he goes crazy and he <laughs> he kills a guy by putting his big penis through his eye socket yeah I remember now <laughs> I mean come on so indeed they're releasing this film again special director's cut with five minutes additional footage. What do you think about that? Wow, whoopty do the same film with five extra minutes. Why, why, what's the reason? Uh, did they run out of money or something? That's what I'm saying. Why just for five minutes and 60 hours of behind the scenes footage, they got to chop it up for, uh, for those special video ads that they put in DVDs. But still. It's crazy. Five minutes extra for the, anyway. I sent an email to Stefan Biro from Unearth Films and just wanted to get some insight on this uh, on this uh, announcement of a Serbian film Ultimate Director's Cut. So I'm awaiting an email, probably get some opinion uh, from Stefan Biro about this film, about this release, how they acquired it and stuff like that um so stacy will you see this unrated version again 
just for five extra minutes? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, you only seen this film once, right? Uh, no, I saw it twice. Oh, okay. See, I... Yeah, at first, first I watched the censored version and then I watched the director's cut because I got both of them. Ah, uh, very, yeah, very good. Yeah, because when film. everybody kept talking about, like, you know, what was in the director's cut, I was like, what's in the director's cut? So I'm like, okay, I have it. I'm just going to watch it. Yeah, no. Right, right. I mean, it's just like the films like Martyrs. You could only see these films once. Yep. You can't see these films more than once because, you know, they're they too... Wow. They're far out. But It's not I, one of those movies you can, like, watch continuously. No, it's no. Not it's not those type of movies that you, see, you have your friends at home say, Hey, I have a horror movie. Let's, let's watch this. <laughs> I think yeah, they'll befriend like, you on Facebook in an instant. <laughs> Uh, your friends would hate you. <laughs> wow. Wow. A Serbian film. Mm, crazy. I would recommend this film to any horror fan who wants to step into uh, the, the, the depraved world of horror. And like I said, it's not a, really a horror film. I think it's a, uh, it's a very... Uh, it's a deep psychological thriller. Crazy, crazy. UFO documentary unacknowledged now available. And, it, uh, and Stacy, um, everyone here is well aware of the UFO phenomena that's been plaguing uh, this planet Earth. Everybody has heard of, you know, cases of UFOs, right? Yes. And Stacy, yeah, I know you've heard of cases of UFOs. Well, this new documentary is called Unacknowledged. And it's, it's going to be released on Video On Demand on the 23rd of May. And this new video is features Dr. Stephen Greer. He's the founder of the Disclosed Project. And Dr. Stephen Greer, he is a, a, the most influential force in the ufology research um, He's conducted so much research. I mean, he's one of the pioneers of UFO researchers uh, even before the internet. You know, now you have a lot of people on the internet who dedicate their time, uh, sort of like Secure Team does, and they provide footage and commentary about the, you know, sightings and video. Well, Stephen Greer was doing that even before the internet age. The film is directed by uh, Michael Mazzola and it's narrated by Giancarlo Esposito and Unacknowledged focuses on historic files of the Disclosure Project and it surrounds the secrecy behind UFOs, the government cover-ups and it features a roster of interviews from uh, top officials in the in the governments uh, who have now come forward and are now uh, suggesting you know we've been visited by UFOs and ever since the Roswell incident uh, back in the in the 50s uh, how the government is taking these technologies reversing the technologies and now that's how you have um, you know stealth planes and perhaps even the cell phones you have in your hand 
is based on this type of technology. Secure Team conducted an interview with Dr. Stephen Greer. So make sure you stop by to Secure Team and check out their YouTube channel. Uh, this is the first interview that they did on that channel. And as I said, Stephen Greer, he's the, the pioneer of UFO research. So Anid, what do you think of this upcoming uh, documentary, Unacknowledged? Finally, we have uh, some updated information on this cover-up of UFOs. Amazing. I mean, it's good that the people get to know there's real or not what's going on outside in the world. We should always be aware of our surroundings and everything that is around us. Especially in the sky. Yes, definitely in the skies. Because I know you had a UFO incident. I haven't had one. You had one. Yeah. I'm so jealous because you you saw a UFO. That was years ago. And that was that was here in New York City. Yeah. By the Hudson River. By the Hudson River. The that's creepy. That's creepy. Because uh, one of the members of the Beatles actually saw a UFO in New York City. I think it was near the Hudson River too. Yeah, it was a crazy experience. But when I actually went and woke up the person that he was sleeping right next to me, the, it just kind of disappeared. Crazy. So, Stacy, you haven't had an experience with UFOs? No, I haven't. No, I've only heard about experiences. Never had them. I've never seen anything strange in the sky. Do you have any curiosity or seeing anything strange in the sky? I don't know, really. I mean, it just never happened to me. How <laughs> <laughs> would you react if it happened? <laughs> That's a good question. I really, I really don't know how I would react. I would say I'd probably just be shocked, you know? I don't know how I would react unless it happens, really. Yeah, and um, one thing... I, I, I tune in almost daily to Secure Team and he, he puts up some videos. People send them videos all across the world that they're recording their cell phones or a camera or something like that. And uh, even uh, ScreenCap1, he has a channel on YouTube and he monitors the video feed from the International Space Station. He monitors the feed. We have cameras pointing at the sun. So, so check this out, Stacy. Street Cap One in his YouTube channel, he shows some unidentified objects going close to the sun and taking energy from the sun. And sometimes the video cuts, or sometimes the video or the picture gets edited. But you can see something next to the sun, and it's huge. What do you think about that? that that's creepy right there. Yes, I definitely agree it's creepy and I'm always intrigued when I hear stories. Um, yeah, like I said, it's never happened to me. I really don't know how I would react if it did, but... And uh, I know I need... I, I show you every time there's some a video pops up from security team, it's like, whoa, take a look at this, hon. Yes, you do. You actually be like, hey, come, take a look at this, but then you end up falling asleep. Yeah, sometimes I fall asleep, oh, yeah. 
but that's because I binge watch the videos. I, I let it go for a few days without watching, and I, yeah, okay. Anyway, mm-hmm. but that's not to say the channel is boring. No, I mean Tyler, he puts up some cool videos, and I'm very intrigued. And like I said, he interviewed uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, his first interview. So definitely check it out. We provide the link in the article accompanying this podcast. Hellboy reboot will be rated R. It was announced that Millennium Films is in negotiations with producers Larry Gordon and Lloyd Levin to reboot reboot and relaunch the iconic Hellboy, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro and created by Mike Mignola. The new reboot working title for this movie is Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queens. Silver screen beat reach out to Andrew Cosby who's been working with Christopher Golden at Minolia on the screenplay they were generous enough to provide silver screen beat with a few brief details about the script here's what they had to say I can't really talk about specifics regarding the story which they're keeping a pretty tight lid on the moment at the moment but I can't say that this is a darker, more gruesome version of Hellboy, Cosby said. Neil said from the very beginning that he wanted to walk a razor's edge between horror and comic book movie, which was more music to my ears because that's what I was shooting for in the script and precisely what Magnolia does so well with the comics honestly has been just been working over time to bring that magnolia magic to the big screen cosby continue the script is done but working will continue as we move forward always trying to make sure it's the best it can be there you have it stay tuned to dk mag for updates uh stacy do not say that you haven't seen hellboy Yes, I've seen Hellboy. You know, Ron Perlman has been pushing for another uh, addition to the franchise. And now we're hearing that a reboot? Really? What what the hell is going on? What is this? Reboot and Ron is not part of it. And Ron is not part of it? How the hell? I guess they just don't want Ron in it. So what do you think about that, Stacey? A reboot? Why does that film need a reboot? Why? <laughs> uh, why does any film need a reboot? <laughs> I guess they feel like... I don't know. I guess they feel like it does. In my opinion, only films that may need reboots are re- like really old films. Like back in the, you know, like... 70s to 60s you know those films that could maybe you know use maybe a more updated touch or more modern or restoration or something like that but these films nowadays they're remaking them two years after they come out (laughs) that's right but Hellboy has been out a long time yeah but let me tell you, Ron Perlman, he's been pushing to be a part of this for a long time. I mean, we bumped into, uh, we didn't bump into, well, Ron Perlman stopped by 
a screening of Poker Night a couple years back when this film released and it was in New York and uh, you know the question was raised about him uh, you know reprising his role as Hellboy and also remember any in his Twitter it was covered in our in our last podcast um, his Twitter account he was very disappointed that you know the Hellboy franchise is nothing is not gonna happen very disappointing but apparently somebody else wants to work on it and wants to make a reboot meaning that they're gonna have a new actor apparently they're gonna get rid of his character they're gonna have a new actor playing Hellboy that's why it's called a reboot that's that's just terrible I hope this movie fails on so many levels because you know Ron Perlman he's such a good guy he's been waiting to reprise his role especially to work with Guillermo del Toro nobody can create the vision Guillermo del Toro brings to the table I mean um, Pacific Rim it was it was good in my in my opinion though those creatures those kaiju creatures those the the outfits from the the mecha um, robots are amazing um, that last feature which everybody thought it was gonna be a horror film which was not it was a love story um, that was beautiful the the visuals the cinematography so how who why come on this is bullshit seriously it's all bullshit yeah I mean make another make a sequel make another addition to the franchise get Ron Perlman because nobody could play Hellboy better than Ron Perlman I mean the guy he his facial structure is 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 made uh, for uh, elaborate makeup designs because I remember when I was young uh, Ron Perlman was on the TV show Beauty and the Beast I remember that show you remember that show I need Yes, that was old a long time ago. Don't say old, because it makes us <laughs> old. So... <laughs> but, yeah, and... Um, uh, what's, what's her name? The actress Linda Hamilton was in it. She was the beauty, and she played in the Terminator series. Yes. Yeah. So, after that, I was a Ron Perlman fan since Beauty and the Beast. And Hellboy... He played it he played that part very well I, I think they gave part two on tv the other day didn't they yes yeah so but i've seen this so many times that i didn't watch it yeah but because those are those are timeless oh wow i call bullshit on this all over hope it fails bullshit bullshit really <laughs> seriously get ron perman back somebody Somebody should tweet him and tell him about this atrocity that's gonna happen with Hellboy. He probably knows already. Yeah, and he's probably seen the same shit. Bullshit. Daniel Radcliffe to star in Guns Akimbo. Guns Akimbo is in the beginning stages of pre-production. The film will be written and directed by Jason Lee Howden, who also wrote and directed Deathgasm. Produced by Joe Nirurater and Philip and Philip, Philip Marino of, of, of Occupant Entertainment, executive produced by Michael Milis of Hyperion Entertainment and Will Clark and Andy Mason of Altitude Films. The film will star Daniel Radcliffe, who's known for the Harry Potter franchise, as well as The Woman in Black, 
Horns, Victor Frankenstein, Altitude Films, and Occupant Entertainment will introduce the project to international buyers at the upcoming Caney's Film Festival. Stay tuned for updates. Guns Akimbo follows Miles, who spends his days in a dead-end job, pinning for his beautiful ex-girlfriend, Nova. His mundane existence is turned upside down when he finds himself enrolled on a darknet website that forces complete strangers to fight in a citywide game of death. Gladiatorial battles can be live-streamed worldwide to a fanatical audience. Contestants are chosen by clandestine gang known as Schism, who handicap the weaker contestant to further stack the odds against them. Initially, Miles' lifetime running from his problem pays off as he manages to elude his first opponent. But when Nova is kidnapped, he must finally stop running and overcome his fears to fight for the girl he loves. Guys, what do you think about this? Wow. Uh, Guns Akimbo. Hmm. Let me start off with Daniel Radcliffe. Um, I don't think he's his career has been that good ever since he broke off from Harry Potter. I mean, Anita and I, when we were doing the the movie screening uh, circuit we saw one of his uh, romantic comedies I mean it was pretty good if you're into that sort of thing but then he portrayed a zombie that was farting I mean what type of shit is that uh, a you fart- said it farting shit <laughs> no 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 you made a funny you made a funny Yeah, so I'm not too sure about this. Um, I think, yeah, it was released in 2016. Uh, I'm looking at the INDB now. It was called Swiss Army Man. Yeah, farting zombie. No. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then before that, oh, he was in Victor Frankenstein. How did, how did that film do? Yeah. Who? What? I don't know what that film is. Yeah, about. exactly. And he was—he he portrayed Igor. So, yeah. Master. Yeah. I don't know what to say. I mean, the plot of uh, Guns and Kibbo sounds very good. Uh, it's just the actor itself. I don't know if he has the capabilities of uh, of of pulling up. The role is the way Just he's say to. that his acting's been sucking lately. You don't need to sugarcoat it. Say like it is. He's up. Okay. There you have it. My <laughs> sugar-coated comment just got summed up with one word. He sucks. Okay, Stacy. Moving along to you. What do you think about this? <laughs> well, I will say that... Um, I thought he was pretty good in horns. I thought that was a pretty good movie. Ah, thank um, you. Yes, he was good in horns. See, so he didn't suck all too bad. He's half sucked. Yeah, so... <laughs> so, um... But I do agree that ever since he... You know, they got done with Harry Potter, I don't feel like he's had much success since then. But, um... 
I haven't seen Victor Frankenstein. I have I haven't seen The Woman in Black, but I honestly I don't even think it got that great reviews either. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, it just flew under the radar. Victor Frankenstein. Uh, uh, there was a lot of news. A lot of news circuits uh, was picking up on it, reporting it. When it released, it just... Okay, what happened? He's just stuck on the Harry Potter characters. That's it. That's why these actors, when they start making one type of movie, they stay stuck on that category. And that category, you know, between the years, become less and less wanted. That's called typecasting. There you go. Yes. You gave it a name. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, yeah, but we, yeah, I, I have no other further comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have. But, you know, Jason Lee How, How, Howden, Deathgasm, Stacy, Deathgasm, come on. That was, that was pretty cool. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. Okay, we're gonna have to hunt. Um, Any? Yeah. Go go to orbits. We gotta we gotta buy some plane tickets. We gotta go to where Stacy's at. We gotta strap her to a chair and force her to watch all these movies. <laughs> that wouldn't be the worst punishment. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best punishment like, for her. Yeah, that would be the best punishment. Alien. Covenants equal in the works. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Enid, Stacy, uh, Alien Covenant is gonna hit the theaters. Well, I think it just hit the theaters, and it's it's creating such a buzz. All these trailers, uh, we covered it on on our podcast, and you know the direction where this film is going. They're trying to cover the storyline, the origin of the alien creatures. Now, with this release, Alien Covenant, we have some very interesting news. According to IGN.com, Ridley Scott stated the following. I quote, We're writing, parentheses, a sequel, now as we speak i will be filming that within 14 months now the article goes on to state that a question uh surrounding the alien mythos in future movies and ridley scott uh stated that the platform is quote unquote wide open by design and quote that's why I'm doing it. So you're asking these questions, unquote. So the title, perhaps the title is going to be Alien Awakening. That's not concrete as of yet. But what raises questions is really Scott. He just finished making uh, Alien Covenant. Prometheus uh, had mixed reviews. And now he's going to continue the Alien franchise with another film that he's going to conduct in, in the next 14 months. Well, within 14 months. Um, I, I don't know. I'm perplexed. Is this guy milking this franchise just like how the Transformer franchise was is getting milked? I mean, come on. Really? Another Alien movie? 
What, what do you guys think about this? He making money out of it. You want to milk it as much as he want because he's making money out of it. Yeah, I think so. What do you think? Another alien. Stacy, well, um, are you up for it? Well, I've only seen the first alien for the first time, like, what was that? I want to say two or so weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. I finally saw the first alien for the first time. I haven't seen the second one yet or any after that other than Alien versus Predator. Um, so I don't really know enough to say that, you know, it's milking, but hey, <laughs> I, I guess just as with any other franchise, you know, they just keep bringing these movies out. You know, they're not always as good as the first. Yeah, and Alien Covenant, I know he's going for a lot of eye candy because everybody's stating that this film is going to be gross and, and you know, horror. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had a co-worker uh, and she stated that her husband is dying to see Alien Covenant, but she's not a horror fan. So she saw the trailer and she was just like appalled by the, the, the grotesque violence and uh but the, the husband appreciates it but alien the fra the alien franchise did not start with gore it started with a psychological thriller because if you remember um stacy you didn't see the alien until the the latter part of the film that's when he was being revealed yes and in these films that is coming up you see the alien right away you see the chest bursting out you know you don't need that you don't need, that's not how the franchise but of course i think really scott he's just gonna milk this franchise well the way he's doing it is for him to attract people that's why they want to see the alien at the beginning to catch the people's eyes right and you know you, you know who's in the cast of the Alien Covenant, right, Anid? Uh, you have, uh, what's his name? He's in pretty much every every movie out there. Michael Fassbender. And you have uh, Danny McBride. Uh, I guess he's the comedy relief uh, for the film. I mean, you have, such, you have a very interesting roster for Alien Covenant. But Stacy, did you know? Have you seen Chappie? Have you seen Elysium? Have you seen the um, uh, what other film? District Nine. Have you seen those films? No, I haven't. Well, the director of those films, his name is Neil Blomkamp. He wanted to make an alien film, and pretty much, just to sum it up, really Scott, he, he cock blocked them pretty much because he said <laughs> yeah seriously because he said i mean there's no other way to sugarcoat it since he doesn't want me to sugarcoat why he do that because neil bootcamp wanted to make an alien film but then ridley scott said uh-uh i'm making an alien film and you can't do it because i'm making my own franchise so it doesn't make sense to have two alien films out at the same time so so that project from Neil Blomkamp is dead in the water and I would mother ra much rather watch something different uh, 
you know Neil Blomkamp had a different idea which is cool but to sum up this commentary I'd much rather watch something different and original than another alien uh, addition even if it's from Neil Blomkamp The Strangers 2 casting The Strangers is coming back with a sequel The film will be directed by Johannes Roberts The script written by Brian Bertino and Ben Katai Produced by Wayne Mark Gottfried, Robert Jones, Mark Lane, and James Harris of the Fizz Facility Pictures, in association with Relativity Media. The cast stars Christina Hendricks, Bailey Madison, and Lewis Pullman. Principal photography is slated to start on May 30, 2017 in Los Angeles. Stay tuned for updates. The Strangers 2 follows a family whose road trip takes a turn when they arrive at a secluded mobile home park and the power goes out. As the hunker down for the night in a, in a borrowed trailer, three masked psychopaths pay them a visit to test their every limit. Guys, what do you think about this? Oh, I'm looking forward to The Strangers 2. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I mean, this is one of those con those contradictions that I speak of with the reboots uh, and sequels. This is one contradiction. The Strangers was a good film. Uh, it merited a sequel like uh, like yesterday. It was. I love home invasion films. Uh, hopefully, this sequel will carry on that that uh, that concept and not just make a sequel just just for the hell of it um Inid, do you remember the the uh the strangers you don't remember that film hey, don't wait for me to pull up some images the, the strangers the home well aren't film. the uh, yeah the three um the three villains that were in the first one they're supposed to be coming back right Dollface, man in the mask and pinup girl Yes. Yeah, the three. Yeah, they're supposed to be coming back. Yes. Wow, that movie came out in two thousand and eight. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember right now. I mean, I love home invasion movies. It's just one of my favorite movies. Uh, and zombies, but there's no zombies in this film. Home invasion, awesome film. Uh. And we talked about this on our podcast, and uh, one of the plots that they had in consideration was that the family from the first, uh, from the couple in the first film, uh, they they were going to investigate the deaths of the family members, and they go to a cabin, and that's when these three killers show up again. I don't know if they're gonna keep the same plot, but according to these actors that are being casted now, according to you, Stacy, um, let's see. Let's see uh, what other information pops up. Yeah, I'm excited for it as well. I thought the first one was, it was awesome. It was great. So, and I'm glad that the three masked, you know, the uh, three masked villains are coming back. They were really good. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were. Really they, were they were very iconic horror characters. But they, and I they, was hoping the way the first movie ended was not only the 
the cue for sequel, but that they were gonna because I would have been disappointed if it ended like that. And it's like a, an entirely different cast. It's like no, I want them back. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like I said, it contradicts what we say about sequels and stuff. But the Strangers was so well made, and it you know it needs a continuation, but in a good way. It needs to be same characters same mystery don't add gore you don't need that you don't need the gore just that psychological thing that's what made that movie work so well is that psychological that the the hunter and the prey that was a very good concept split two slated for 2019 split the film directed by m night Shyamalan. it it was a surprise hit even to me this film did so well and the budget for this film it I believe it was in the five million dollar range uh, nine million dollars I understand corrected it was nine million dollars and it grossed 270 million dollars that's pretty cool yes it is it's very cool and M. Night Shyamalan, I keep saying, uh, when he first started his career, his films were very intriguing. And then somewhere along the line, uh, the audiences, uh, you know, they didn't like the concepts that he was presenting anymore. And the films were becoming bombs. Like The Happening is one perfect example. The Village is another. And uh, the last film that he did with those wacky grandparents you know that turned out to be at the end they were just mental patients oops did i just give out the uh the ending for that film oops you did yeah because the film was that crappy you deserve to know the ending before watching the film and yeah but you know i think that was called the visit yeah the visit there's there goes your ending but anyway um, M. Night Shyamalan shocked the world with this, uh, with this film, Split. And now they're considering a sequel. And it's going to be released. Uh, so far, uh, the tentative release date is 2019. And the film is going to star uh, Sam ja Samuel Jackson and James McAvoy, who portrays the antagonist. And also the final girl from Split, her name is Anya Taylor-Joy, she's going to be also slated for the cast. So the, now we're talking about a sequel, which means that the budget may be upped a bit. So in, an, in a quote from Jason Bloom, he stated as follows, The budget is more traditional, still by Hollywood standards, a low budget. But it is not five million. So there you have it. Split is going to be a low-budget film, just like uh, Split Two. Correction is going to be a low-budget film, just like the first. Uh, but it's not going to be in the five million dollar range. Probably. So we're talking about probably nine million again or ten million. So Jason Bloom also stated the following. We hope so. I hope so. We have a release date for January of 2019, so we have to start shooting pretty soon. And that quote is in regards to the release date for Split 2. Um, the title for this film 
is tentatively called glass and the reason is because the ending for split ties into the unbreakable film that starred Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson so if you haven't seen split the ending ties to unbreakable and the next film is called glass so if you've seen unbreakable you know what that film is about and hence this title for this second feature so any Daisy what do you think about this sequel I haven't seen split I don't know if you guys have seen it but I'm hearing great reviews and it's really putting my doubts on M. Night Shyamalan at the side I just I gotta watch it. <laughs> you both answered at the same time. What was that, Stacey? I was just saying I haven't seen it either. But as you said, I, I heard good things about it as well. Yeah, you know, I, I keep putting the guy down because he's been dishing out some garbage lately. And apparently, uh, you know, joining up with Jason Bloom from Bloom House, he finally got one film out of what one two three one film out of three all right <laughs> well i don't know what do you think i need um the split sequel i know we haven't seen split so yeah that's the name of the movie because we split because we didn't like it no we didn't like it we didn't like the director we haven't even seen split yet have you seen part one no, we haven't. That's what I'm saying. We haven't seen it. And it stars James McAvoy. You remember him. He plays the Professor X in oh, the X-Men. Oh, right. That's the movie that has the, the guy has a split personality. Oh, now you know. Yes. Yes, that's the one. Well, if it's part two, I hope it look good. Uh, you always say that. You always say that. I mean, it's true. Sometimes they make shitty movies. So what you want me to say? Make their movies going to be good? No, I hope it's good. Because I'm tired of seeing these stupid movies. Yeah. Like The Visit. And the Annabelle. Movie. Annabelle. To just name a few. Yeah, that's just a couple. Well, we have to watch Split. Uh, you know just to pacify all doubts that M. Night Shyamalan is going on the right track and he's becoming uh, uh, a hot he's commodity. redeeming himself right that's the word I'm looking for oh my gosh thank you see I'm drinking coffee and Anita is uh, the one waking up ha how <laughs> <laughs> do we get Stacy to laugh one time on the podcast <laughs> 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 I was just thinking of the Phones commercial. Oh, you just did a product <laughs> placement right now. We're not even getting paid for that one. <laughs> We're gonna contact Folgers <laughs> now and say, hey, give us some money. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. Give me your money. I don't know why when you said that 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 whole commercial just came to mind. <laughs> Wow, it's crazy. Well, and just to um, add to this segment, uh, Jason Bloom he added the uh, his quotes. This was during an interview for the Blu-ray release of the film Get Out, and uh, that was released from Bloom House Pictures. 
So during the interview, they had asked him the question of the sequel for Split. And Stacy, I know you love Get Out. That was an amazing film. I do. It was awesome. I loved it. And it's got a lot of good reviews. Yes. Amazing. Across the board. So another person who seems to be redeeming himself is Jason Bloom. Because I was, uh, his films, except for The Purge, his films were just atrocious. The guy doesn't know nothing about horror. He know, he's a good businessman because he can make a cheap product and make a profit out of it. That's, that's business tactic 101. But for a horror film, he doesn't know nothing about it. But lately, some good stuff has been coming out from Bloomhouse. Get Out, and now you have Split. So hey, let's... whoop de doo yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, you're a tough critic here because I know you love paranormal activity. whoop de doo no way. <laughs> <laughs> the, the four, the, what was it? The Last Dimension or something May like that? May the force be with you. <laughs> that was ridiculous. The force of knowledge. There you go. Of how to do a movie. Yes. Well, two people redeemed themselves in my eyes, just like uh, Anid just said the magic word, redeem. Jason Bloom and M. Night Shyamalan. How is it uh, tough for the crypt coming along, by the way? I have to check my sources. I do believe that Tales from the Crypt, which M. Night Shyamalan was supposed to back as the series director i think they got cancelled or some type of legal issues i have to check my feeds again okay yeah i didn't see that one really pulling through no no you know there's some things you just can't uh imitate again yeah because like last time we heard wasn't he looking for uh like people on um what is it wattpad to help you know write this write the series and everything <laughs> yes and also i believe m9 wanted to direct uh the second season for oh stranger things oh no don't mess up my show i'm gonna lose faith in humanity if he does that exactly yes i mean he's he's coming up he has one good movie this just stay stay with that one stick to that one don't mess anything else up N not tales from the yeah. crib not stranger things just you're doing good with split stay there exactly work, work on that then see if you could do some other stuff edge of tomorrow 2 revealed it has been almost three years since edge of tomorrow came out in theaters nationwide and guess what Director Doug Lehman has revealed that Edge of Tomorrow 2 will in fact be a prequel to part 1 rather than a sequel. Here is some information per an interview calendar conducted with director Doug Liam. We have an amazing story. It's incredible. Way better than the first film. And I obviously love the first film. It will be called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Tom Cruise is ex excited about it, and Emily Blunt is also excited about it. The big question is just when 
will do it but it's not an if it's a when i've had some radical ideas about how to make a sequel that will interest me in the same way that he's had ideas of how you can make an independent film and then swingers came along and he was like aha that was the perfect movie for me to test these ideas out on i had these intellectual ideas on how you should make a sequel that are unlikely how anybody else makes a sequel and this script and this idea fits perfectly into the that idea so it's going to revolutionize how people make sequels and again that's why i try to do things like invisible that are just the revolution sort of built into the idea it's more hearsay in the film world for me to pitch things that are sort of sort of unheard of so there you go this is some of the things that director doug liam had to say stay tuned to dk mag as we'll be providing more updates on this story um <clears throat> edge of tomorrow there's some rumors that uh edge of tomorrow was a ripoff from a japanese anime or manga uh, not so sure uh, how the facts is about that because many in the community, science fiction community, anime, manga community, they've been voicing that opinion. But uh, Tom Cruise, let's just stick to the story that we have on hand. And Tom Cruise, he's he's rising up now. He's bridging away from Mission Possible, and now he's doing the Mummy. And if he does Edge of Tomorrow, that that'll be pretty good. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow was a pretty okay film, don't you agree, Andy? Yeah, it was pretty good. I saw it. I yeah. liked it. Yeah. It's just that now I think the name that the movie has it fits more well than Edge of Tomorrow because basically it's live, died, repeat, and repeat. Yeah. Let's see if they stick to that title though. But. Um, Hmm. Edge of Tomorrow. You know, it's just so cliche because you have so many films that talk about time travel and the guy goes back in time to fix something that, uh, to prevent something happening in the future. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal was in a movie like that. And then you have uh, some other movies, you know, copying the same thing. But Edge of Tomorrow had that sci-fi element that was very cool. They had, the, you know, the aliens taking over the world. You had the the the, the suit, the these robotic suits. I mean, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It wasn't the best, but it's a decent sci-fi action film. It was, it was different. I would say it was different. I'm looking forward to a sequel for this, uh, because practically there's nothing nothing else out there that delves into action and science fiction, right? But let me correct it. It's actually a prequel. Right. To yes. part one, right. not a sequel. Okay, a prequel. a prequel. But it's the same thing. It's a continuation of the story. Yeah, but they say prequel, not yeah. sequel. Prequel. So wait, wait, wait. How can it be a prequel if things happen in the future? So what are you going to a, to the past now? So how does that work? How does the time travel work in there? I don't understand. But apparently, uh, it's gonna be the same stuff. 
But it doesn't make until sense. Until he figured it out. But wait, it doesn't make sense now because in the film, he didn't know that he was traveling through time. So if it's a prequel, how would he have not known if he's knowing then what he does know now? He knew after, after a few times, he kind of figured it out on the end for tomorrow that he kept on coming back and, you know, every time. Right. But if it's a prequel, he would have known already. Do you follow this, Stacy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have not seen the movie. <laughs> I'm just listening to y'all. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, so the the manga i just pulled up some information here according to forbes in a 2015 report uh the manga all you need is kill by hiroshi sakura zaka wow that's a tongue twister right there and i hope i didn't mess up that name but yeah Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode of DK Mag Podcast. Be sure to visit our website at dkmag.com, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. And to emphasize, we are called DK Mag. We are not called DK Magazine, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. I am Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DK Mag. Enid Artuz, content contributor for DK Mag, and don't forget to listen to our podcast on Google Music. Stacy Cockstaff, correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Please be sure to rate and review DK Mag on Stitcher rating and reviews and help us win. And you could catch us across social networking platforms Twitter, Facebook. Instagram, Pinterest, Google Plus, Pinterest. Thank you guys. I was waiting for this. Uh, Yes, Pinterest and Google Plus and Instagram. So be sure to search for us across social networking platforms. And if you have a film you want us to review, a book, video game, be sure to send us an email. Thank you so much for tuning in.